This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Mo- Strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. everyone this is the other side of midnight i'm frank morano by now you have probably heard one of the wealthiest men in the world has acquired one of the most influential social media platforms in the world already and i don't think this sale is even official yet i don't think it's gone through meaning i don't think elon musk has taken operational control of twitter but already on the heels of this announcement that elon musk will be acquiring Twitter for $44 billion. Twitter is already 12 times more fun than it was two weeks ago. I mean, it's great. I can't get to Twitter fast enough. It's people freaking out. Oh, no, there's going to be all sorts of disinformation on here. There's going to be anti-vax stuff on here. Uh, There's all sorts of concerns about what's going to happen. There's all sorts of hopes. There's all sorts of fears. Now, I think this is incredibly positive because the remarks one that Elon Musk uses Twitter so many of the decisions that have been made by people on Twitter about Twitter it seems like they're made by folks that have no idea what it's like to use the whole Twitter experience so um, a lot of the remarks that he's added like adding that he's made over the last week or two like adding an edit button I think this is very positive And I'm trying to have tempered expectations because what I've noticed is it's very easy to be a critic. But when you're actually in charge, then the reality of governing takes hold. And look, it happened with Donald Trump to some extent. It's happened with me with this Facebook group that I moderate. I started a Facebook group and you could join it, Morano Radio Fans and Haters. My intention with this Facebook group was to let people post whatever they want, because I believe in free speech. And then it became very clear that that was not going to work, because you had users cursing at one another. You had users filling this Facebook group with all sorts of spam for one political party or one business or this or that, and then criticizing all the other hosts. And then I I would hear whispers, you know, so-and-so thinks that uh, you don't like them because you allowed that post up. So I I had to start a post-approval process, which is the last thing that I want. And I think Elon Musk is going to have a similar awakening. I think – look, don't make – don't misunderstand me. I think Musk taking control of Twitter is incredibly positive and is a big improvement. You know, it's funny. I've been toying with getting off of Twitter for a while. But this is now reinstilling my desire 
to be part of Twitter. You know, there was a movie, it was also a play, but there was a movie that came out about 30 years ago. It was called, more than that, maybe 35 years ago, it was called Talk Radio. Great movie. Alec Baldwin is in the film. Aaron Bregosian is in the film. As far as radio movies go, this is one of the more realistic. It's a wonderful film and a great play. I saw it on Broadway as well with Liev Schreiber in the lead role. It was great. But in that play, the talk show host, who's based in part on Tom Likas, in part on Bob Grant, in part on uh, Alan Berg, in part on a few other people, in that show, in that film, the talk show host, Barry Champlain, says this is talk radio, America's last neighborhood. Well, I got to tell you, as a fan of talk radio, up until John Katsimatidis took over this station two years ago and began implementing some of the changes, I was beginning to think that talk radio was no longer America's last neighborhood because it was all the same stuff everywhere you go, the same warmed over, syndicated uh, garbage, all the same ideology, all the same hosts, market after market. There's nothing different. Now our station stands out as very different. But I think if Elon Musk does what I believe in his heart he wants to do, he can make Twitter America's last neighborhood. And you hate to view it that way. You hate to think any any neighborhood is America's last neighborhood, but you can make Twitter America's electronic neighborhood. So I want to ask you two things. Now that Elon Musk has clinched a deal to buy Twitter for $44 billion cash, must be nice. I had $98 in my bank account yesterday when I looked in a transaction and a transaction that will shift control of this social media platform, which is populated by millions of users and global leaders to the world's richest person. This is a seminal moment for Twitter and for social media in general, and hopefully for free speech, because Elon Musk calls himself a free speech absolutist, which is exactly how I view myself. Now, the the folks that this is bad news for are all these right-wing alternatives to Twitter that people fled to, like uh, Getter and um, Rumble and uh, Parler, and these areas that became refuges for people fleeing Twitter. And it's funny, you know what I noticed yesterday? You know who's back on Twitter all of a sudden because of the new ownership? Mark Levin. Mark Levin quit Twitter because they had suspended President Trump, and now he's back. And I suspect you're going to see a lot of people of varying ideologies that chose to quit Twitter coming back. And I think that's a great thing. I think talk radio or social media or just conversations in real life works best when it's a whole bunch of people conversing with one another, disagreeing with one another, learning from one another. And it would be boring if Twitter was just this homogenized group of people that agree with one another all the time. That's not the kind of social media platform I want to get news and information from. So I think this is great news. But now that Elon Musk has taken over Twitter, I want to do two things. One, I want to make a Twitter wish list. 
uh, which I am going to tweet to Elon Musk after the show. So number one, for instance, on the Twitter wish list is an edit button. Um, that is it's the worst thing in the world to tweet something and you have a typo or some spelling error and then all of a sudden you can't fix it. It's annoying. So that's number one on my Twitter wish list. I want to hear from you. What do you want to put on your Twitter wish list? That Elon Musk, now that he's in charge, a self-professed free speech absolutist, what do you want on there? 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. The other thing that I think is a, a very poor decision was the announcement, or at least the coverage in the New York Post, and I think some other media outlets picked up on this as well, that Donald Trump, even if Elon Musk rescinds Twitter's ban, is not going to join Twitter. I have to tell you, I think that is a tremendous mistake. Not only is it not the best thing for Donald Trump, because Donald Trump was able to command an enormous audience on Twitter, one of the most followed Twitter accounts in the world. He was able to control the news cycle through Twitter, and he did it brilliantly. He did it brilliantly. He was, you know, he was to Twitter what FDR was to radio. What John F. Kennedy was to television, um, what Barack Obama was to the Internet in an earlier form. And I think that's a big mistake. And I think Trump not being on Twitter, a friend of mine, a, a Republican, said to me a few months ago when there were all these people not being vaccinated and everything. He said, you know, I think the biggest culprit here is Twitter. If they had not suspended Donald Trump off of Twitter, Trump would have been tweeting like crazy, just as he did in his speeches, that people should go get vaccinated. And a lot of the people that were reluctant to get vaccinated might have gotten vaccinated if the Trump tweets on that got more attention than the Trump speeches on that. So I would love to hear, A, what is your Twitter wish list? What do you want to change about Twitter? What do you want to keep about Twitter now that Elon Musk is in charge? B, do you think Donald Trump should rejoin Twitter? The New York Post is reporting that he's saying he's going to stick with his social media application, Truth Social. I haven't used Truth Social yet, so I have no idea if that's any good. Uh, you're welcome to comment on that. I have no idea if Musk will follow through on his free speech commitments. I certainly hope so. There are some reasons to be skeptical, but he's the only one out there in the social media community that's vowing this. So it's worth hoping. If he doesn't, then nothing will have changed. Twitter will still be as mediocre as it is right now. Uh, the status quo right now is billionaires, whether it's Zuckerberg or Dorsey or someone else, censoring the internet. So if Elon Musk continues to exercise the uh, censorship role the way these other companies have, then nothing will change. My hope is that something will change. So we have item one, an edit button. What else do you want to change on Twitter? 1-800-848-WABC, 1-800-848-9222. I am very hopeful about this. 
And uh, I hopefully we'll see some changes. Seven open lines if you want to jump on board. Now's the time. Now, let me tell you what's coming up today. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we're going to talk with Alan Tonelson. Alan Tonelson, one of my favorite people to talk to. He's been a senior advisor on trade to both Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders. He's also a terrific blogger on national security issues and energy issues at uh, Reality Check. He's just terrific. We're going to talk tariffs. We're going to talk inflation. We're going to talk some other things. Maybe he's on Twitter, too. Maybe I'll even get his take on this. And then uh, coming up in the 2 o'clock hour, I'm really looking forward to this. I'm going to be joined by an anthropologist by the name of Dr. Gregory Forth. And he's just written this book all about, it's called Between Ape and Human. And it's about how this creature called the Hobbit, that's uh, really what they call it. I mean, it has a proper Latin name, but I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. The Hobbit might have been, might still be alive. They're thought to be extinct, but he believes, at least he thinks it's possible, that they could still be around in Indonesia. So I'm very much looking forward to that conversation in the 2 o'clock hour. But uh, for now, I want to hear your thoughts on this Twitter wish list. What do you want to add? Uh, the other thing I'll add on my Twitter wish list is make it easier to see the tweets in, chrono- in, in chronolog- chronological order. It's just a cough drop. I'm not really not drinking. Don't worry. Uh, now it's very difficult to see the tweets in chronological order. So, I don't know. Tell me what you think. 800-848-9222. Steve is in Manhattan. Hello, Steve. Hello, uh, Frank. Hey. Uh, this is John and Bayonne. Oh, John and Bayonne. It says Steve in Manhattan. Sorry. I don't know why that is. Um, first change, first and foremost on Twitter, I want Trump back on Twitter yesterday. As soon as possible. Now, what Trump is saying is that he's not even going to join Twitter if they release the ban. I think that's a tremendous mistake. What do you think? Absolutely. I'd love to have him back on Twitter. Thanks, Frankie. Uh, Nothing else you want to change, John? All right. He got so insulted we called him the wrong name that um, I guess he thought better of it. All right. Uh, 800-848-WABC. Our uh, phone telephone talent coordinator today will be Philippe. And uh, I have a feeling we're going to be in much better hands than we were yesterday with uh, with Curtis's phone screener, because clearly he was trying to exercise all sorts of sabotage uh, by implementing Curtis's will on that front. Uh, I also think, you know, one of the things that we really don't know the full extent of is shadow banning. Right. One of the things that's been happening is they've suppressed certain tweets from coming up in your feed. Now, they haven't actually banned people, but they've just stopped your tweets from being visible, which is almost as bad as banning. In fact, in some respects, it's even worse because you don't know who's trying to ban you. I mean, you don't know that you're banned, so you can't appeal it. You can't make an issue of it. You just have to sit there in silence having nobody see you. Uh, And also, by the way, speaking of um, people coming back to the platform with this news, now Tucker Carlson is back on Twitter as well, which I think is a positive. So I think it's a positive. Even if Elon Musk does nothing wrong, I mean, nothing, nothing different. The fact that all these people are coming back to rejoin the platform 
and create an ideologically diverse pool of conversation on this platform, I think is great. So far, we have no one else with suggestions. I am disappointed, I must say. I thought we were going to be teeming with suggestions. Don't, you know, if you want to add to the conversation, 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Now, he said, John slash Steve, that he wants to bring back Trump to Twitter. Another fella I'd love to bring back to Twitter is Roger Stone. He was banned from Twitter before it was even fashionable. He was banned from Twitter six years ago. Been banned for Twitter for a while. So I'd love to see, or maybe five years ago, but I'd love to see, uh, I'd love to see Trump come back in that respect. 800-848-9222. If you want to, if you want to tweet me, you can do so as well at Frank Morano. I have remained on Twitter the entire time. Uh, It's uh, Frank M-O-R-A-N-O. And, um, you know, for instance, you know what? This is why people hate Twitter. One, this fellow just tweets at me. Frank Morano is a right wing hack. Notice how he isn't saying anything about his Trump world is freaking out over him being in contempt. All right. What do you want me to say? Donald Trump is in contempt of court. He's going to they say he's going to be fined ten thousand dollars a day. I'll let the courts work it out. I don't know what you want me to say. OK, I've said it. Am I still a right wing hack or do I get that title of right wing hack removed now? I mean, just by res- responding to this anonymous Twitter user, top salesman, um, I'm bringing more attention to the tweet because this is someone that doesn't even know how to tweet because he started his tweet with the at symbol, which means only that people that follow both him and me can even see it. So, I mean. Whatever. He thinks I'm a right wing hack. God bless him. Richard in Brooklyn, what do you want to what do you want to see changed now that Elon Musk has Twitter? Well, you know, I mean, I think uh, certain things are going to be changed and certain things have to remain. I mean, uh, you know, we throw that word around free speech, but free speech comes with responsibility by the person sending out a tweet. I mean, obviously, uh, uh, hate speech can't be permitted. So there has to be a certain level of filtering. I mean, uh, you you said yourself you experienced that. So if people are not going to be responsible, they're going to start, you know, throwing uh, uh, remarks at other people's calls. These things have to be filtered. I mean, how that could be done, I don't know. And hiding things is, is certainly not the answer. Well, so what, then, then where do you think the line is drawn? Because some people think it's fine to ban um, COVID conspiracy theorists. Other people think... Um, Holocaust deniers should be banned. Other people think uh, people that spread misinformation about the vaccine should be banned. Uh, Other people say, um, you know, I mean, there's all sorts of theory. Now, even this, some people say uh, climate denialists should be banned. Other people want uh, Russian conspiracy theorists banned. A lot of people want the wanted the folks that were part of the January 6th riot banned. Where do you stand? Well, you know, my feeling is that uh, at some point the majority has to have some kind of power. I mean, if uh, if the majority of people uh, think that the uh, the Holocaust uh, was certainly just a conspiracy, I mean, this becomes the, uh, the 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 feeling of the of the country. You know, I certainly wouldn't be want to be the one to decide what topics have to be banned and shouldn't be banned. You know, they have to go to a higher authority. You know, it is tricky. You know, if you ever go downtown in front of um, in front of federal uh, federal hall 
you'll always see, at least for a while, you would always see a QAnon person there handing out some literature that was some, somewhat unhinged. You'd also usually see, especially during the Obama administration, some Lyndon LaRouche people there. I've, I've noticed they're less frequent now that LaRouche is dead, but you'd see some people. Now, the LaRouche uh, movement, I don't know how familiar with, you are with it, but it was basically a cult. And basically, they would hand out photographs and literature of Barack Obama as Hitler. They had Obama's face to altered to be Hitler. Now, Obama is not Hitler, and I, I think really only Hitler is Hitler. I don't think any American president should be compared to Hitler. But I thought it was great that I lived in a country that these guys had the right to say something so objectionable. And I would love to see more of that. In places like Twitter. So would you allow someone on Twitter to say Obama is Hitler? You know, Michael Benjamin, the columnist for the New York Post, former Democratic assemblyman from the Bronx, he got banned from Twitter essentially for tweeting a joke. He tweeted a joke and got banned, he wrote a column about it. And it was t- he was so obviously being sarcastic. Now, he's obviously someone that should not have been banned. What are, what are the changes that, that you want to do you want to see? Tell me. Uh, he also is saying, uh, Musk, that he wants to make some other user friendly changes like uh, doing away with some of the spam bots that send out all these unwanted tweets to people. What changes do you want to see made? 800-848-9222. Hudson is in the Bronx. Hello, Hudson. Hey, what's going on, brother? Hope you're having a good night. Thanks. Um, so. There's, there's a lot of people that I, I, I don't think they understand it, especially a lot of people that aren't on Twitter. Um, so I got banned from Twitter. I mean, uh, just a total, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm older. I, I don't do any of these accounts, Instagram, and, but I like Twitter. because Same, my same. Wife I hate yeah, Instagram like, you know, and all these other things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I, I don't have any accounts. It's the only account that I opened. I had my, you know, my, my little cousin open it for, and it's just like, the reason I did it is, you know, my wife doesn't hear w- w- want to hear my crap half the time, and nobody wants to hear my crap. So it's just like, you know what, at least I can go on there, I can do my point of view, and I think that the majority of Americans don't understand that it wasn't just Trump that was banned. It wasn't just Libs at TikTok that was banned. They shut down half the country. Yeah, They didn't want to hear anything from anybody. So I don't think people really grasp that. They shut down half the country. You were not allowed to even talk about your point of view for the silliest little things. I don't curse. I don't do nothing. I was just getting across my point of view. Boom, shut down. Yeah, well, look, I'm very hopeful. So what changes do you want to see? Other than, I mean, it sounds like you agree with me and, and what Elon Musk is claiming, that we should have more free speech. What other changes would you like to see to the Twitter process? I'm going to be honest with you. I, 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 I mean, whatever, you know, you, you got these crazies, whatever, over there that, you know, you got these terrorists that are on it and stuff like that. I, I think everyone should be on it. Everyone should be on it because if you go on it, like I can't post anything, but I can still read it. And if you see these leftist point of view and you see how nasty they get, yep. they get nasty. But you know what? Hey, to each his own. You want to get nasty? I don't have to look at your tweet. Right. Same. You can just silence them. That's what I do with a lot of the people that say that shoot all this spam off towards me. That's what I end up doing. Hudson, thank you. John is in Las Vegas. Hello, John. Hello. Um, I, for one, think that Trump is just saying that he will come back 
to Twitter. He's just playing it for a while. He wants to let the transition go over, and then he's going to come back again. That's that's what I believe. Um, um, well, I, I hope you're right. So why do you think he's saying that he's not coming back? Well, I think he wants to just see what happens when Musk takes it over. That um, He's also probably got an investment in, in his, um, you know, Twitter copy um, that he wants to right. protect. Well, sure, um, that's another thing. But but there's another point I want to make is that um, just like Mark Levin uh, boycotted Twitter when they um, banned Trump, a lot of people like me who don't like Trump are going to quit twi- Twitter if they let Trump back on there. So it's going to have an uh, effect of uh, causing a lot of people to do what Mark Levin did, except on the other side. Mm. Uh, yeah, I think you're you might be right, John. We'll see. Uh, I am. I remain optimistic. Wilford is in Newark. Hello, Wilford. Hello. <clears throat> well, what those people didn't hear about Trump and Twitter is that Trump says he wants to build up his site. He got himself. You know, his site. Yeah. Trump's uh, tr- Truth Social. Yeah, he wants to build that up. Plus, you get all these Democrats like that one guy that was talking about Obama never did nothing. He's no crook or nothing. Which they guy? all listen to. Uh, it was before you. Right. They all listen to. Well, put it this way: all the anti-Trump people they listen to any TV station that has a, a news station that has a C in it, like ABC, CBS, all of them. They only tell. They're the ones that's telling these lies and changing, manipulating stuff to sound negative toward Trump. Yeah. Uh, well, again, uh, Wilfred, uh, thank you. I don't want to make it sound like uh, the people on one side of the political aisle are all angels. They're not. I've seen a lot of people on the right and the left be very, very nasty. I've never understood that. I've never understood why anybody has to be nasty if you disagree with someone. Now, I don't see why, what you lose by being polite. Um, um, well, look, our experiment here has failed. I was hoping to get dozens and dozens and dozens of suggestions about how to improve the Twitter experience. So far, we've gotten three and two of them are mine. So uh, this is we'll chalk this up as a failed experiment. There you go. Sometimes your aspirations are in one place and uh, reality is in another. Alan Tonelson joins us next. We'll talk about uh, energy, the economy, the border, a whole bunch of other things. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. That is the newly liberated, newly impregnated 
Britney Spears singing Give Me More. And uh, more is what it seems like we are getting the opposite of when we go to the grocery store. You know, I asked my wife to go through our grocery bill about what we're paying at the grocery store this year as compared to last year. And uh, buying pretty much the same stuff, we're paying about 20 to 30 percent more. And there was a big story out today that even people like me who have opted out of inflation, we're now going to be victims of shrinkflation. Now, manufacturers are shrinking the packaging of what they're selling us and charging the same price. It's what they call shrinkflation. Who better to talk to you about the economy, inflation, shrinkflation, all the flations than Alan Tonelson? He is a trade expert, the founder of Reality Check, a blog covering economics, national security, technology, and more. He's also been a former advisor on trade issues to Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders. Alan, thanks so much for joining me on the radio again. Always a pleasure, Frank. And by the way, I was just scraping the bottom of my ice cream container, which was a little lighter than usual. (laughs) I can can imagine. I can imagine. Alan, uh, one of your blog posts uh, this week really caught my attention, especially given our last conversation. Our last conversation, we touched a bit about tariffs in general and the tariffs related to China specifically. And uh, that is something, by the way, you don't hear any much about anywhere these days, the whole tariff question. You read the Wall Street Journal, New York Times. I don't see much people paying attention to the, uh, the economic uh, implications or the hopes and fears that we heard so much about tariffs during the Trump administration. But you're, you wrote this blog post yesterday all about this, uh, these r- remarks made by the White House, the Deputy White House National Security Advisor, Dalip Singh, when she made some remarks about ta- when um, when when Dalip Singh made some remarks about tariffs last Thursday. What exactly did Dalip Singh say? He made the point that, gee whiz, you know, we have all of this inflation and we might be able to cut back meaningfully on that inflation to cool prices off meaningfully if we would just reduce all if we would just reduce at least some of those sky high tariffs that former president trump put on hundreds of billions of dollars worth uh, worth of exports that the chinese um have been hoping to sell into this country and even more important the very following day, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, who was probably President Biden's chief economic advisor, made this very same point. She said, you know, we could do something about inflation if we could cut or if we could reduce and even eliminate if we could eliminate a number of those tariffs on Chinese goods. And the problem with that argument is that the tariffs on Chinese goods have contributed practically buckets to inflation. But now explain this to folks. They may understand what a tariff is, that uh, it's a, essentially a tax on a good right. that's imported to the United States. And folks might think, well, it sounds logical. If we're putting a tax on a good that's imported from another country, that means it costs American consumers more to buy it. Why then would what Singh and Yellen said not be true? Why wouldn't it be contributory to inflation? 
Well, first of all, uh, really important to remember that from the time that Trump began putting tariffs on Chinese products, which was the middle of 2018, practically until the uh, coronavirus hit this country big time, um, there was almost no tariff effect on the prices that consumers paid for Chinese products. And why was that? Because companies were very reluctant to pass those costs on. The parties that actually pay the higher price for the Chinese goods are not necessarily consumers. They're the companies that buy the products from China. It's then up to those companies to decide how much of that increased cost are we going to pass on to American consumers. And for the most part, U.S. businesses decided that they just couldn't take the chance on trying to excuse me, on trying to pass those costs on, largely because I think they were afraid that American consumers were still shell-shocked from the 2008 financial crisis and had turned very cautious. And it seems, by and large, they were right. Now, lately, they've been much more successful and much more enthusiastic about passing higher costs on, higher energy costs and all of the higher costs that businesses have experienced due to the various snags in global supply chains that we've seen precisely because of the stop-start nature of the American economy that's been caused largely by, by these waves of coronavirus that keep arriving and that keep arriving and and then receding but when it comes to the products that Mr. Singh and that Secretary Yellen were talking about they make almost no contribution whatever to US inflation rates because relative to the size of the whole US economy they're so infinitesimally tiny what do you think has been the driver of inflation over the past year? Is it the supply chain shortage? Is it energy? Is it both? It's both, and it's also the fact, um, and and it's 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 increasingly obvious that we sh- that Congress should not have passed President Biden's American Rescue Plan in the early part of 2021, because by that time, even though this legislation was billed as emergency coronavirus relief, it was clear that economically speaking, the, the virus emergency was over. The U.S. economy was already recovering very strongly. Consumers had lots of money in their pockets and in their savings accounts due to the previous virus relief bills that were passed the previous year. And and the result of this American rescue plan being passed was that the economy overheated. Consumers received even more money and they decided to spend it. And they decided to spend so much that businesses simply couldn't keep up with the with these new orders. And when I say businesses, I, I mean, of course, all of the transportation networks that goods flow through to get to this country and to be distributed around this country. 
If people are just tuning in, by the way, we're talking with Alan Tonelson. You could uh, just check out his blog, Reality Check. Just Google Reality Check. It it comes uh, right up. In terms of um, what we can do at this point about about inflation, what would you suggest? The, the U.S. economy and President Biden and the Federal Reserve, which has the main responsibility in the U.S. government for keeping inflation in check, they are on the horns of a major dilemma because, as practically everybody knows, inflation, whether you're talking about retail inflation, that is the the price that we pay for the actual goods that we consumers see on store shelves or wholesale inflation, the price that that businesses pay one another for the parts and components that they trade back and forth, those inflation rates are at multi-decade highs. We're talking 40-year highs. And yet, they're so high that that the only way, it seems to me anyway, that the Federal Reserve can bring those inflation rates down is by raising interest rates so high, that is, making the cost of credit for businesses and consumers so high that it could tip the economy into recession. Um, and that's the problem that the Fed faces. And the Fed has raised rates and is going to raise rates more. So money, the price of money is going to get more expensive. But when you've got 8% consumer inflation and interest rates still only at roughly at roughly 1% and maybe they'll go up as a result of the next fed meeting to 1.5%. No one thinks that's going to be enough. Mm, mm, and well it's going to be interesting. So much of the of our economy right now seems tied towards China. Now you alluded to the covid problems that we faced in this country when there's an uptick it has an economic ramification. In China, we are seeing severe COVID lockdowns, which is now leading to a a Shanghai shutdown. And there's even talk that this might extend to Beijing. Now, if this happens, this would be and this continues, this would be disastrous for the Chinese economy. And because of America's interconnectedness with the Chinese economy, I can't imagine it would be very good for the American economy. Is it too late at this point to decouple in a meaningful way the American economy from the Chinese economy? It's not too late. And in fact, substantial decoupling has already taken place, including on the trade front. And the main evidence for that is if you look at the value of two-way trade between the U.S. and China, that is total trade, as a percentage of the U.S. economy, it's been, excuse me, it's been going down steadily since about 2018, not so coincidentally when former President Trump began imposing tariffs on Mm -hmm. Chinese products. Um, And if the U.S. stays the course, that's going to continue, largely because China has proven to be such an unreliable business partner lately for all foreign-owned companies that 
that are operating in China that they're going to be increasingly tempted to move their operations, especially their factories, to other low-cost countries. Some of this manufacturing has come back to the United States more certainly will. Much more has gone to other low-cost countries, for example, Vietnam and in this hemisphere, Mexico. I, I, I have full confidence that, that this so-called zero-COVID policy that the Chinese have been pursuing is going to accelerate that flight of factories outside China and reduce China's importance to the U.S. economy even further, which is all to the good, because we should want to have as little to do with this with an economy that's, after all, run by a hostile dictatorship as we possibly can. And it's not going to be easy because, as you pointed out, we still import hundreds of billions of goods I'm sorry, hundreds of billions of dollars worth of goods from China, from China each year. But relatively speaking, the importance of these Chinese imports has been decreasing. We're talking with Alan Tonelson. Alan, let me ask you about the situation going on in Eastern Europe right now. Yesterday, Secretary of State Tony Blinken and uh, Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin um, went to Ukraine and they gave some remarks after their three-hour meeting with President Zelensky. Uh, General Austin said afterwards, we want to see Russia weakened to the degree that it can't do the kinds of things that it has done in invading Ukraine. And then uh, went further in saying that uh, he wants a serious – he doesn't just want Russia out of Ukraine. He wants a, a serious degradation of the Russian military. Is this a wise policy for America to pursue, and is it wise for us to be advertising this to the world right now? I'm extremely worried about this latest turn in U.S. policy. And I say latest turn because U.S. policy, at least on the rhetorical level, has been full of, of, of almost nothing but twists and turns ever since the Russians invaded. Um, and, and that kind of inconsistency and apparent confusion can possibly serve U.S. interests. But more specifically, the longer the war in Ukraine lasts, and this is not to take anything away from the incredible effectiveness and courage of the Ukrainian people and their armed forces, but it is a tragic irony of current geopolitics that the longer this conflict lasts, the likelier it is to spill over Ukraine's borders into countries that belong to NATO, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, countries that the United States is bound by treaty to de to defend. And therefore, if the conflict spills over, it raises the prospects of U.S. troops who are already in those countries and, in fact, ha have, been getting, have been getting deployed there in growing numbers. It raises the prospect of U.S. forces fighting Russian forces mm. And that, in turn, could well escalate to the all-out nuclear war level, which would be catastrophic for the entire planet, including Ukraine, by the way. No, that's for sure. That's for sure. Uh, coming back to this continent, one of the issues that has gotten a lot of attention is the crisis at the border. I think by any objective measure, things are going to get much worse in terms of the border situation 
once uh, Title 42 is no longer in place. Evidently, at least one judge has restrained the Biden administration in their attempt to uh, roll back Title 42. Give me your take on the border situation in general, Alan, and what the the repeal of Title 42 would mean for the situation at the border. The border situation uh, richly deserves the title Biden border crisis because former President Trump um, was making very significant progress in getting in in getting illegal immigration under control. He took some very tough steps, including Title 42, um, including the remain in Mexico policy, which really cut down on on the numbers of asylum seekers from all over the world who had been successfully entering this country under largely false pretexts. They were claiming that they had reasonable fears of persecution, of uh, political violence. They were really seeking economic opportunity. And President Trump closed that loophole quite effectively. Um, On his first day in office, President Biden announced to the entire world that though, that every loophole closed by President Trump was going to be reopened. Maybe not right away, but that was clearly his his intent. And as a result, the numbers of of illegal immigrants um, who have been encountered at the U.S. border by by the U.S. Border Patrol has reached record levels, or at least certainly multi-decade levels. And the and if Title 42 gets rescinded, if the United States decides that there's no more public health emergency that 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 could justify preventing immigrants from coming into this country on those grounds, you're going to see caravans multiply tremendously in size and also number. And P.S., as excuse me, as we've seen for the last roughly year and a half, they're not only going to be coming in from Mexico and Central America or even the rest of the Western Hemisphere. They're going to be coming from the Middle East, and we're going to see U.S. national security threatened because it's 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 almost impossible to imagine that 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 the Border Patrol right now is going to be able to figure out who's a terrorists and who's not one of the we we saw a uh, president of france uh, emmanuel macron reelected on sunday and a lot of biden advisors seem to publicly take solace in macron's reelection i believe it was ron klain who tweeted something to the effect of oh look uh, a president getting elect a, a president with a 36% approval rating getting reelected. The implication was that if Macron could do it, Biden can do it. Obviously, the electoral systems in France and the United States are very different. But Mm. do you think that the um, the Macron victory in France would be a could be could portend a Biden victory in two years? 
I see absolutely no connection whatever, because I really don't think there are too many American voters who have been taking their their political uh, cues from French voters or from any foreign voters. And, and, And I don't believe that's ever happened throughout American history. Now, having said that, I I have no doubt that today's Republican Party um, has um, has tremendous potential to screw up massively um, what should be a, a what what <laughs> what should be a major victory in this year's off year elections and even in 2024's presidential elections. The Republican Party um, is is experiencing some very serious splits. Prime and, and and what's weird is the main splits seem to be between the leaders that Republican voters keep sending to Congress and the Republican voters themselves. Yeah, it's funny. I saw an article yesterday that showed that impeaching Biden has gone from a fringe movement among Republican elected officials to increasingly mainstream. It's easy to see a scenario where between that and the uh, all these abortion restrictions that are being passed in Republican-led states, the Republicans uh, find a way to clutch defeat from the jaws of uh, of victory. Uh, also, I know you, you have liked in the past, at least, some of the things that Senator Sanders has said on the trade issue. He apparently is leaving the door open to running in 2024 again. Do you see that happening? Uh, that's unimaginable to me simply because of his, of his age. He's even older, uh, unless I'm mistaken, he's even older than President Biden. Now, he, is, he does seem to be in much better physical shape. He does seem to be much mentally sharper. But he's going to be, um, as I recall, in his, in his early 80s. And unfortunately, that's about the time that most of us start to, to decline both physically and mentally. And the idea that, uh, that anybody in their early 80s could be counted on to serve a full four-year term as, as president effectively just is not serious at all to me. You know, the, and I think Senator Sanders knows this. Yeah, I, If Donald Trump has said one of the few things that might keep him from running in 2024 is his health, you sort of seem to have your finger on the pulse of the at least – Trumpian issue wing of the Republican Party, if not Trumpian personality wing of the Republican Party. If Trump chooses not to run, given the field of candidates who've talked about running, which candidate do you think is the most Trumpian, at least on the issues? I've got to think that even though we don't know very much about his views on foreign policy and on trade, I've got to think that Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida um, is the one um, who, who who has the best qualifications for inheriting that that Trumpian mantle. And um, there was a poll that came out just yesterday, a Harvard Caps Harris poll, showing that if the major party nominees are indeed President Biden and former President Trump, 
58% of voters would be open to voting for a centrist independent. Uh, on April 24th, Andrew Yang was interviewed by Sarah Longwell. Yang said there will definitely be a mainstream centrist independent running in 24, and he suggested that perhaps Mark Cuban might be that candidate. How do you see a centrist independent candidate running against a Biden and a Trump? Well, we did see a a centrist independent political candidate make a pretty darn successful run for the presidency mm-hmm. back in 1992. His name, of course, was, was Ross Perot. Um, however, that uh, that presidential campaign, in retrospect, seems to be seems to have been awfully exceptional. Um, we really haven't seen potent third-party movements in this country, um, I would say since since 1948, that's when the Southern Democrats split off from the National Party and formed the so-called Dixiecrat Party. We saw something like this happen with George Wallace, the former governor of Alabama in 1964. But 68. those candidacies never transcended that particular region yeah. and the and the advantages that incumbents enjoy in this political system the advantages that the two parties enjoy are so immense that i just can't see a mm. third party candidacy taking off this alan party. i have to end it there uh, especially after last night's ball game uh, with the mets and the dramatic wow. way in which it ended it looks like we're headed towards a met yankee world series i'll see you there i, I hope um, Amazing. Amazing. And no, as Casey would say, it's amazing. Uh, that's right. That's Absolutely. right. Alan Tonelson, thank you very much, my friend. Thank you, you. If you want to comment on any portion of our discussion, give me a call, 1-800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. We'll take your call straight ahead. We are New York on New York's Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. When you see a gentleman be around a lady be buzzing, just count again, there's sure to be an even dozen. A multiplication, that's the name of the game. In each generation, they play the same. Now there was two butterflies casting their eyes, both in the same direction. You'd never guess that one little yes could start a butterfly collection. A multiplication. That's the name of the game. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. That's a great Bobby Darren. If you ever want to know what music we're playing, either the song, title, or the artist, uh, just join our Facebook group. Uh, you can just search um, Morano Radio Fans and Haters on Facebook or... Um, just like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash moranofan and you'll immediately get an invite to join our Facebook group. And each morning right after the show, we post the songs in there that we are uh, playing as bumper music, some of which are quite good. I uh, want to give a couple of thank yous out to some of our great listeners. First, to my fellow Star Trek fan, Jeff Schilling. Jeff Schilling, a great listener, was an early supporter of this program, supported me at my previous radio station as well. He sent me 
the one of the coolest things in the world. I haven't used it yet, uh, but I'm hoping to try it tomorrow. He sent me a Star Trek communicator from the original series that connects via Bluetooth to my mobile phone. So I haven't used it yet, but I think what will happen is I'll be able to talk into this communicator, which looks exactly like the communicator from Star Trek, as if it's my phone. How neat is that? One more thank you in just a bit. Help control the pet population. Get your dog or cat spayed or neutered. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. everyone this is the other side of midnight i'm frank morano hey the other um thank you that i wanted to make was to one of our great listeners ellen metzger who was able to detect my disappointment last week when molly was here and she indicated that she had made a cake instead of a pie i'm much more partial to pie so she sent us three pies in order for us to enjoy, and I, 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 I'm trying not to eat much pie. I am going to try a slice because I am a sigh for I, I'm a, just such a sucker for pie, uh, both the dessert and the 3.14. And we have some cherry pie and some blueberry pie that we brought in, and uh, people have been enjoying it. And I'm looking forward to charting, uh, trying some as well. I did give the apple away. Just because I knew three pies were not going to get eaten. I did give the apple away to a friendly judge in my neighborhood. So uh, we brought in the cherry and the blueberry. Matt Blaze, did you try any of this pie? If you're talking, I can't. Not as yet. Oh, you Uh, did not not As of yet, I have not. Oh, okay. But you gave the apple away? I gave the apple away, yeah. To a judge? To a judge, yeah. And his wife. Huh. Hmm. Well, very, you think you think it's in case I it's very if I ever be, go before his court, then I'll, I'll, that's my way of getting but preferential you gave him treatment. The apple and not the cherry. You don't like cherry pie? No, love cherry pie. I love apple pie. You I love mean, apple pie. I do love blueberry too. Okay, well, but, so try the blueberry. So you haven't even tried the blueberry. You're complaining about me giving away the apple. Well, I know I love apple pie, and I'm saying I think most people love apple pie as their pie of choice. Really. I think blueberry might be my pie of choice. But honestly, I like every type of pie, except um, like mincemeat pie. Right. You no, know, I, don't I don't like, like that. Craziness. But anything else, I really, I'm a pie guy. I really am. Philippe, you tried one of each, right? No, I just tried the cherry. Oh, you just tried the cherry. I, oh. had, I had two slices, though. So two I, slices of the cherry? It was really good. I, I had to come back for a He's slice. a growing boy. So Matt Blaze doesn't know what he's talking about, about I, the cherry. I, I was 
biting my finger the entire time he was talking about yeah, it. Yeah, well, wh- if you work on this show regularly, you'll find you end up doing a lot of that when he ends up speaking. So um, good luck. Good luck. All right, 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. So big thank you to Ellen and to Jeff Schilling. Um, Very, very generous, and uh, neither of them had to do that, but it certainly is very much appreciated. Those of you that are holding, I will get to you. You know, it's interesting. I came across an article yesterday and over the weekend that shows President Biden's polling is in trouble. Now, it's not much of a surprise. I, I don't like to read too much into polling, but the trend was interesting in this poll. It's not much of a surprise that Republicans and conservatives and the people that didn't vote for Biden uh, in 2020, they're still not crazy about Biden. That's not a surprise. Here is what was somewhat surprising. Do you know what group? is most responsible for Biden's dip in popularity. Do you have any idea? Matt Blaze, do you have a guess as to who is most responsible for not liking Joe Biden these days? Uh, what are my choices? Well, I mean, your choice is anything. I mean, I don't know. What do you mean? Group, an ethnic group? Or? All right. Well, you, you've, 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 you, there you go. I, I'm I'm already bored with struggling trying to hear your answer on this. Never mind. Um, okay, I'll just tell you the the group most responsible for Biden's dip in population for in popularity. And and again, I don't want to spend too much time on politics, uh, which I I don't generally like to do. But I just found this so interesting. The group that is so interesting uh, that is um, most responsible for this dip in President Biden's popularity is youth. Young voters are not crazy about Joe Biden anymore, even the ones that voted for him. And so my question, and they're not ready to embrace the Republicans. They don't seem too crazy about the Republicans either. So don't misunderstand me. In fact, the only the one issue that seemed to unite youth, according to this poll, was they were in overwhelming agreement, something like 80 percent or more, that something should be done about the burden of student debt. That's not exactly a surprise because so many of them are burdened with this student debt. So my question for you is, why do you think young people seem to have such a problem with Joe Biden. What is it about Joe Biden? It can't be just the fact that he's older. And I, I believe as it stands now, he is the oldest president that we've ever had. Um, but I'm wondering if there's something else here. Well, the oldest president at the end of his tenure was was Reagan. And so, yeah, so Biden is 78 now. So he's older now than than Reagan was when he left. Good. So, right. So Biden is the oldest president we've ever had while serving. Do you think it's just that? Or do you think it's something else? Is is it something about his policies? Is it something about his personality? What do you think? I don't want to make this a Biden bash session, but I, I really would be curious if you have if you're a young person 
or if you're the father or you're the, the parent or grandparent of a young person, what is it that you think makes young people so less likely to like Joe Biden these days? 800-848-WABC. That's 800 848 Those of you that are holding, we will get to you. Um, Al's in Manhattan. Hello, Al. Hey, Frank. How you doing? Um, I've been better. I've been worse. Okay. So, so Frank, um, my my thing about the, the gentleman you had on a, a minute ago, a few minutes ago, he's a very intelligent man, and he tells you all the points about why – the inflation is happening. He talks about the tariffs and, you know, so in one breath, the tariffs are caused by uh, Trump. And, well, but uh, he didn't say but he didn't say that the tariffs were contributing to inflation. In fact, he said the exact opposite. Well, well I took it that he said that if we got rid of the tariffs. No, no, no. He, you misunderstood. He said the, the okay. literal, the exact opposite. He said that since the tariffs were implemented in 2018, they have had statistically almost no impact on inflation. I see. Well, he, he tells you about what causes it, though. But how do you fix it? Now, I am in the bakery business. I used to spend... I used to spend... Um, $9,500 every 14 or 15 days for flour. That same flour is costing me now 21000 So it went from ninety five to 21000 And a big reason for this happening are uh, the special ladies. Is what, uh, Al, you, uh, you broke up a second there. It sounded like I missed the punchline. No, the the reason, uh, one of the reasons why this is happening is because of speculation mm-hmm. from the investors on investors on Wall Street or whatever it may be. See, when you buy a contract of flour, what you're saying is, I'm buying the flour today, but I'm going to use it within three months because that's what the flour companies will give you: three months, five months. Well, the speculators they get a year, so they come in and buy low, they hold on to it, and then. The prices go up, and they start releasing it, and they're they're making more money than the bakery. Oh, I believe it. I believe it, and I think that's true of a lot of other commodity sectors as well. I saw some numbers on uh, corporate profits pre-tax just before, and a lot of these corporations that are raising prices and saying they have to do it because of uh, inflation and their costs are going up, they're making more money than ever. So let's say what you just said is true. what then do we do to slow down the speculators who might be driving inflation? You make them take the contract and use it. I see. In other words, I bought it. I got to use it within three months. I buy at a time 12 contracts. That's because I use it every two weeks. So they come in and buy a thousand contracts. No problem. We'll sell it to you. But you have to use it within three or four months. You'll get all the speculators out. And they did that with milk. At one time, they were trying to control the milk, and they came in with a federal law, I believe, that said you can't speculate on milk. That's a staple item. Well, so is flour. Right. So they should do the same thing, and you'll see how fast that – and actually, there's another thing that that is a problem. The government was paying farmers at one time not to grow wheat because wheat is such a cheap product. They couldn't make a lot of money by growing a lot of it. 
but they would subsidize them. Yeah, well, what did they do with it? I think that's. Uh, I mean, I think you're seeing the same issue go on now with corn and ethanol subsidies. It's a great point, Al, and uh, makes a lot of sense. Thank you. Um, I am still curious. What the last thing Joe Biden needs right now is to be abandoned by young voters, but younger voters are turning on the seventy-eight or seventy-nine-year-old president. This is a voting block that a lot of people assumed was locked up for the Democrats. Earlier this year, approval for President Biden among people aged 18 to 30 hit depths no Democrat had plumbed to in decades. The mid to low 30s in Gallup and other polls. Obama, for instance, never dropped below 42 percent in that group, even in his worst, even his worst poll. In some cases, that swing against Biden in 2021 totaled anywhere from 20 to 30 percentage points. Now, he's since made gains in some polls, but it's still very unstable ground. And this alienated youth vote really could be an existential threat for Democrats in 2022. They backed Biden in, in, in 2020 by a 25-point margin. All-time high. And in their hour of need, powerful Democrats are looking for answers. And I'm wondering if you have an answer as to why. Why are the youth turning on Biden? 800-848-9222. What do you think? 1-800-848-9222. Michael's in New Jersey. Hello, Michael. Yeah. Uh, you basically said it before. The reason they're turning on him is because they want to freeload and get a free education and everybody else should pay for it. And it's not working out that way. See, originally, Biden said, I will give free college to anyone who goes to a community college. Well, these knuckleheads only hear what they wanted to hear. And they were thinking, oh, I can go to NYU and Columbia and I can go to Harvard or Princeton. I can go to these most expensive Ivy League colleges and the suckers who work for a living paid for their kids are going to pay for my education. Surprise, surprise, we're not paying, and Biden isn't going to make us pay. And that's why they're pissed off. No, thank you, Michael. Uh, 800-848-WABC. Charles is in Queens. Hello, Charles. Yeah, hi, hi. Um, I want to say something about Twitter. But first, I want to make a comment or ask a question. I believe as uh, a courtesy to Tomlinson, I think his name is. To whom? Uh, the gentleman you were talking to, uh, not not a caller, the, the guest. Here, right, Alan Tomlinson, yes. Yeah, Tomlinson, yeah, Alan Tomlinson. Uh, wasn't he totally off on Trump's age? No, we didn't discuss Trump's age. He said Trump is going to be in the, in the early 80s. No, no, 82. Sanders, Bernie Sanders. Oh, Bernie Sanders. My my bad, as teenagers say, or used to say. Uh, but Twitter, I wanted to ask something. And I'm not familiar with Twitter or any of the social media, really. But somebody mentioned about hate speech. I'm just curious, what constitutes hate speech? If I were to say, let's say, on Twitter, that all those um, people that lied and destroyed a family and the children, Kavanaugh or Bork, but especially Kavanaugh, I don't care if it's Democrats doomed to Republicans or Republicans doomed to Democrats. If I was to say those people deserve two-year prison, all of them, 
that lied openly and destroyed a family, embarrassed them, and he shouldn't become justice. Is that hate speech? Uh, you know, that some guy that raped. Th- that's the that's penalty? part of the problem, Charles. Is that there's not really clear standards on what constitutes hate speech, and it yeah. hasn't really been explained to Twitter users. I think that that the un- Twitter the, the Twitter now do they. Uh, I know they stop anything that's Republican. Well, no, so that's Trump. that's not true. That, that's not true. They they don't stop okay, anything. But, but the, I think that you're right. The censorship. Go on. W- sorry. They let Khomeini be on Twitter. Right. Well, they, they let, let OJ on Twitter too. I, I don't know yeah, that OJ okay. is yeah. uh, is a conservative, but I, I think you're right in that they're much more likely to censor conservative speech than liberal speech. And um, but it's it's not as if they censor you just because you're conservative. But hopefully all this will change soon. Anyway, 800-848-WABC, John's in Garden City. John, why don't young people like President Biden anymore? I think they can't relate with him. You know, you look at him, you really can't, you know, get the gist of him. You know, when you look at Obama, even though I disagree with Obama, he had some swag to him. You can relate to him. He spoke very well, very clear, very convincing. Biden's not convincing. He's just kind of soft. He's got no rhythm. He's got no personality. He's, he's a big blah, you know, big nothing now. You know? So you think it's more it's more stylistic than policy? Yeah, yeah, definitely. You can't relate to him. I look at him, and I try to be optimistic about. It. He just he's got nothing to him. He's very he's got no no, no pizzazz to him. Yeah, you know? yeah. I, you know what? I tend to agree with you. I, I agree with you more than I agree with the caller about. Um, Biden not delivering an, uh, on his promises to student loans uh, because right. I, I think if Biden could connect in a meaningful way, if he did appear more engaged, if he did more press conferences, for instance, where he did, um, you know, like back and forth with the press and he came across looking energetic, I think you'd see these numbers go up a little bit. I think you might be onto something there, John. 800-848-WABC, Chris in Mount Vernon. Why don't young people care for Biden? I really think, you know, young people are very tech, you know, you know, they're just always in their phones and watching videos and stuff. And online, there's nothing but billions of videos of Joe Biden. Like, like, for instance, he said that saw one the other day. He goes, uh, oh, you can sum up the United States in one word. And then he just goes off and starts telling a story about something else. Like stuff like that, I think the kids are like, "What the heck's wrong with this guy?" That and the fact that it's ob- it's kind of obvious he's constantly like just reading off teleprompters. He can't uh, he can't talk, uh, answer questions. It seems, well, it seems anyway. Who knows if it's true? But he, he, it seems that he can't answer questions without reading it off of a off of, out of a book. You know, or, you know, it's interesting. Know. It's interesting what you bring up, Chris, which is these these instances which are notable of Biden being. Confused. Just this week, for instance, President Biden, he confused Title 42, which has to do with the border. Um, He confused it with the mask mandate for airplanes. Now, that's something that even I think most listeners to talk radio can tell the difference between. And it is a little alarming to see the president that's in charge of making this policy kind of get so easily confused on two such different policies, uh, which prompted, you know, a clarification from uh, the the White House. So I do wonder if it's less if maybe you're right. Maybe it is these these instances of him appearing uh, 
dim-witted. I'll use I'll use that I'll use that term to put it politely. Maybe you're onto something there, Chris. 800-848-WABC. Uh 1-800-848-9222. Tom is in the Bronx. Hello, Tom. Yeah, Frank. Yeah, I like hi, to say Tom. President Biden hmm. when he became president hit the jackpot and he's got more money than you can imagine and more influence in many ways so he he doesn't need to run again for president i mean he's he'll go out laughing laughing at to the bank it's about all so you don't even think biden even problem runs with the son and all yeah. you know oh, you might be right tom uh, let's go to another tom in the bronx hello yeah hey i was talking to myself for a minute hey uh what were you saying I, no, because you said Tom from the Bronx, and I started talking, and I, and it was the other one. Yeah, yeah both yes. Tom from the Bronx. So I thought it was me that was wrong. Okay, I think that they watched Biden just deteriorate. You know, maybe he was convincing and looked all right when he first got nominated or or through his uh, run, but now they see him like, what happened to him? He just fell apart. He just went down. You know, this is not the guy we voted for, or was. You know what I'm saying? We're standing up there uh, some months ago, and that's how I feel, too. I mean, what happened to him? He just went from up to bang to down. And, you know, it's it's, it's true that people are really feeling bad about him now. And I want to say one more thing. The guy was talking about inflation, but what he was saying hoarders cause inflation, it seems like. You hold back product, and it gets scarce, and then the price go up. Wait, wait. So when you say the seems- guy was talking about inflation, do you mean talking about it? the caller yeah, calling about the flower, or do you mean Alan Tonelson? Uh, was it the flower? Yeah, yeah, something like that. He said when people hold on to stuff, and then... Uh, people don't, and then the price will makes the price goes up because there's a scarcity in whatever it is, and people can't get it, so the price goes up. That's what they do, and you you really don't have a choice because it's scarce. So they kind of create an inflation. You know what I'm saying? Well, hey, Tom, maybe you're right. Hey, we're having such luck with the Toms. Let's stick with them. Tom is in Westchester. Hello, Tom. Uh, yes, good morning. morning. Uh, I think there's two kinds of uh, youth in America. The ones, you know, both that have gone to college, perhaps, Um the ones that, that took courses that, that are um, of use, business courses, economic courses, uh, or, 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 you know, classes that they got degrees in that, that are useful in, in, in the real world, as opposed to the ones who took all these courses, liberal arts courses, for, for many of them. I mean, some of them I'm sure worked, but for many of them, a lot of them aren't panning out, and, and a lot of them are looking for, you know, for the, the debt to pay it off. I, I mean, well, you know, I mean, no, the, the numbers, I mean, the numbers of 18 to 30 year olds that think the federal government should do something about youth is 83 percent. Now, that's that's the the biggest area that they agree on. They don't like Biden. They don't like the Republicans. But it's but, you know, th- there's no. nothing that unifies the youth more than saying the federal government should help with with student debt. So that's something that. Well, well. Well, my problem with that is, I mean, look, I'm I'm 57 years old. I never went to college. I got two kids that I had to pay for, mm-hmm. help pay for with yeah. my wife, you know. And and the thing is, is, is a lot of these kids, you know, the decision that they want to make, uh, you know, um, 
and a lot of them, they drop out of college. I, I mean, some a lot of kids, they just need to wake up like, you know, college is not for everybody. Right. Well, and, and, Tom, and, and a lot of them now are stuck with these bills. Yeah, yeah. And they expect somebody to bail them out. Right. Ultimately, and, Tom, and the federal government really just means our tax dollars. Yeah, no That's kidding. No kidding. And, Tom, ultimately, their vote counts just as much as yours does. Uh, by the way, th- this is the piece of audio that I was referring to of President Biden's seeming confusion on the Title 42 issue. No, what I'm considering is continuing to hear from my uh, my uh, first of all, there's going to be an appeal by the Justice Department, because as a matter of principle, we want to be able to be in a position where if, in fact, it is strongly concluded by the scientists that we need Title 42, that we'd be able to do that. But there has been no decision on extending Title 42. Now, he's not talking about Title 42. He's talking about the scientists and mask mandates. So I could see people. I mean, look, White House did clarify that, but it is what it is. 800-848-WABC. Pamela is in central New Jersey. Hello, Pamela. Yeah, I'll change topics with this one um, and then a second point, if you allow. Um, with youth, I think ideology uh, eventually surrenders to uh, old age and being out of it. <laughs> mm. You know? Well, you might be right. You, know, you might be right. And um, as far as the uh, last segment, um, it's so frustrating. The Republicans, they just can't get out of their own way. Uh, they focus on topics that always derail them. And then they waste time like a high school clique focusing on throwing members out and then they end up losing. Yeah, I, I think a lot of um, and thanks for the call, Pamela. I think a lot of Democrats have similar frustrations with their own party. I mean, if you ask um, Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, she's not exactly pleased with Biden either. So, I mean, you always get these the people that say, oh, you know, our party never does this. The other party always does that. So I, I, um, I think that you're right, but I think a lot of Democrats, rank and file Democrats, feel the same way about their own party. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Let me say hello, uh, hello to Mary Beth in Huntington, who's been patiently holding. Hello, Mary Beth. Hey, how are you? I'm well, um, thanks. I have a feeling, like a few other people have already said, that it has a lot to do with, I mean, there's no charisma there. I think young people, not all of them, but those who don't follow politics that carefully, you know, they're looking for an exciting um, person to vote for. Mm. And listen, Biden is putting everybody to sleep. It's not just young people, middle-aged people, older people. This man is failing Big time, big time. And um, he has no place to go, quite frankly. And I think also the student loan issue, they are frustrated now. Welcome to reality. And that's sad, but welcome to reality, the young people. Well, Mary Beth, thank you. Uh, You might be right. Uh, Hey, when we squeeze in one more call here before we get to uh, Dr. Gregory Forth and we talk about a hominid that everyone thought was extinct that might still be alive. In Indonesia, it's pretty exciting. Joe in Ronkonkoma, hello. Hey, good morning, Frank. How you doing tonight? Doing fine, thank you. 
the reason why I think a big portion of why kids today aren't, they see their parents struggling to pay the bills. And back when Trump was president, there was so much money flowing and everything was flowing. And, and when kids want stuff and they go to their parents, like my kids, and I say it's a little bit of a struggle to get them what they want, the kids are realizing that Biden is destroying the economy and a lot of people just don't have the money to do what they used to do. And if they're, they're just fiscally strapped. Have a so, good night, Frank. All right. So so it's just a financial matter. That's what Joe said. All right. Well, look, uh, those are all good answers. All food for thought. Hey, uh, speaking of food for thought, could these hobbits, these creatures that are half ape, half human, that are thought to have been extinct, could they still be alive somewhere? One noted anthropologist says, maybe. We're going to talk to him straight ahead. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. The Other Side of Midnight presents The Midnight Files. relative of humans that people believed was no longer around still be around hiding somewhere in Indonesia. Well, that is one of the issues that uh, Gregory Forth explores in his new book, uh, Between Ape and Human. Dr. Forth is a professor emeritus in the Department of Anthropology at the University of Alberta. Dr. Forth, thanks so much to, for joining me on the radio. I know it's a tough hour. It is a tough hour for me, um, but uh, I'm uh, pleased by your interest in the book. Now, I um, I haven't read the book yet, but I've read a number of excerpts from the book. Before we get into your thesis here, Explain to our listeners what exactly this creature is, the so-called hobbit. I know there's a more appropriate um, scientific Latin name for it. What exactly was this creature? Well, um, we have to make a distinction here between uh, what's been called the hobbit and uh, what I call ape men. Um, which, of course, includes ape women. Um, the hobbit uh, refers to uh, a species called Homo floresiensis, or, or Flores man, as it was also known. Um, this is a, a very small uh, uh, member of the Homo family, you might say. It, it's a hominin in technical uh, terms. 
Um, very small stands, or it stood uh, at most about uh, three and a half feet uh, tall, uh, with other you know specimens uh, being uh, smaller than that. Um, it was discovered in, in fossil form uh, back in uh, 2003, and uh, at that time the dating was pretty recent. Uh, it was suggested uh, that uh, these things could have survived until at least 12,000 years ago. Um, which in geological terms, of course, is, is you know, kind of yesterday or, or half an hour back. Um, since then, the geological uh, site, um, the place, uh, the, the single place where uh, these fossils were found, has been uh, redated geologically, and it's been found that that, that particular um, set of, of remains uh, is more like 50 or 60,000 years ago. However, I would emphasize that, um, yeah, what would I <laughs> emphasize? You're right, it's a bit late for me. I would emphasize that that's the only, um, that's the only place where, uh, where, where remains have been found. And um, uh, the, the, the dates, you know, they, they uh, span tens of thousands of years between the different individuals uh, found there. So, so the thing survived on the island, uh, the, the, the hominin survived on the island for uh, um, a very long time. Um, when exactly it became extinct, we, we, we just simply don't know, uh, or indeed whether it, it, uh, it, might, still, uh, it might still survive. Um, ape men, on the other hand, are uh, creatures which sound very much like hobbits, if you will, which uh, people in one particular part of Flores Island uh, talk about. Uh, they reckon that they're still in existence, and uh, I talked about 30 or more people um, who uh, claim to have uh, claimed to have seen one? Uh, people that are still—I know you've been studying in this area and doing this uh, detailed anthropological, anthropological field work for about forty years. Uh, to be clear, the thirty or forty people that you've spoken to that say they've seen one of these ape men—these mm-hmm. are people that are still alive. These are eyewitnesses. Um, when I last checked, they, they were still alive. Yes, indeed, many of them will uh, still be uh, alive. They're, they're, uh, many are not that old. So what are the characteristics of what you term the ape man versus uh, a hobbit or other types of earlier man like uh, the Neanderthal, for instance? Well, um, the ape men sound very much like the the, uh, the, the hobbits, which was uh, um, you know, or, or the reconstructions I could I should say of uh, of the remains, which was uh, one thing that led me to uh, consider the possibility that uh, they may still be alive, or they may have existed um, until you know. Uh, very recently, into the 20th century, uh, say. Um, as regards uh, Neanderthal, this was quite a different uh, kind of uh, um, species. It was much less primitive than uh, physically primitive than, than the uh, the hobbits or, or Floresiensis. Um, much larger too. They were they were uh, located mainly in uh, in Europe, of course, and some of us. Um, some of us uh, have uh, um, about 5% or more of Europeans have uh, Neanderthal ancestry. On the other hand, there's no, uh, there's no evidence for Floresiensis having, uh, having uh, mixed and mingled with, uh, with physically modern, uh, modern humans. 
But I, I will emphasize that, uh, um, you know, what got me going on this was, was the uh, tremendous similarity between the uh, ape men, as described by um, the Leo people. This is a particular group I'm talking about. Um, and and uh, and for easy answers and and as regards local descriptions of uh, the ape men, these these include some of the best descriptions include those by um, by uh, eyewitnesses claimed eyewitnesses. The evidence that supports the idea that there might still be ape men alive, or at least that there recently were ape men alive, is it strictly due to eyewitnesses, or is there other physical evidence that suggests there might still be ape men out there? Mm, not really. It mostly comes from, um, you know, people's, people's accounts. They're not all eyewitnesses. The, the, uh, the, the, the ape men are uh, uh, creatures. They call them animals, a kind of animal, not a kind of human, by the way, um, but creatures that um, are generally uh, known about. You know, you give the local name like, uh, is the local name, and and, uh, and most people will have at least some idea of what that refers to, and they're all on the same page uh, in saying that, uh, yes, it's a small human-like uh, creature, but uh, rather ugly, uh, with, with facial features uh, uh, resembling uh, a monkey. They only know monkeys. They don't know apes like uh, chimpanzees or, or gorillas or... Uh, yeah, let's leave it with uh, those two. Um, they only know firsthand uh, uh, monkeys, so they, they speak about these creatures being uh, monkey-like. But uh, for our purposes, we can say they're, uh, they're ape-like. If you, if you appreciate the distinction between monkeys and, and apes, which is a bit technical, but, uh, you know, important for people like myself. Is um, So if these ape men are out there, or even if, a say, a carcass of a recent ape man is found. Would this be, just for, for my own clarification, would this be a new species or would this be a confirmation of a species that was thought to be extinct? Very good question. Talking about um, bodies being found, um, some of my eyewitnesses claim to have come across uh, bodies specifically rather than uh, living, uh, living specimens. Um, how would it be classified? Good question. It could be classified, it could be identified, I should say, as uh, Homo floresiensis, or the so-called hobbit. Um, the same species, in other words. Uh, on the other hand, it, it may be... Um, it may be determined to be a, a, another species, but uh, whatever name is given to it, I, I expect that uh, it would uh, turn out to be something that looked very much like uh, those uh, the, those so-called hobbits. It, there are a lot of folks that, since your book has come out and since the media coverage of your book, which has been explosive, has come out, a very well-respected scientists that uh, and anthropologists that doubt you. Why? Yes, indeed. Why are there so many that seem to doubt this? Well, I mean, for me, one of the most important parts of the book is the last chapter uh, where I, uh, um, I I look at, at paleoanthropology or human paleontology. That's a specific branch of uh, natural sciences uh, concerned here. Uh, and the ways they, they go about uh, uh, looking at things, the way they, way they go about uh, 
talking about things, I look at the whole notion of extinction um, and uh, the, the notion of, of some kind of you know single line unilinear uh, progression of uh, of species, and um, I I find that that. Uh, Really, you know, they are on shaky ground uh, to to a large degree. For example, uh, it's it's said it's said nowadays that uh, Floresiensis, the Hobbit, became extinct five thousand years ago. Well, as I've just told you, um, they've only got that date from from a single site on a fairly large island. Um, so, so, you know, it, it, this is a bit, this is a, this reflects a convention, in other words, in. Uh, in paleontology, um, what they mean, of course, is that the 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 last date we have for for this species is fifty thousand years ago. Um, as you probably know, in uh, well, fairly recent years, um, species of uh, things, uh, quite large-bodied things, that they were thought to uh, uh, become extinct uh, in one case even before the dinosaurs. Um, show up uh, alive today. Uh, the best known example, perhaps, is a, a large, a very primitive fish called the coelacanth, um, which, um, uh, well, there's two species of those alive now, and, and uh, um, the, the, the second one, the latest one, was found for sale in uh, an Indonesian, uh, sorry, in, uh, yes, I am right, I was right the first time, um, found alive, or recently killed, I should say, um, and still fresh in a, an Indonesian uh, fish fish market. Um, another example, also from Southeast Asia, from Laos this time, um, it was a, a, large, a fairly large uh, rodent, uh, which was identified as a, a member of uh, not just a species, but a, a family that, that uh, well, it was a new species uh, and a new genus, um, which is a slightly larger a group. Um, the, the, the closest relatives uh, of uh, uh, of this rock rat, as it was called, were thought to have uh, um, existed only to uh, oh millions of years ago. So you know, both those. Things. Oh, that that showed up in a food market as well. Interestingly enough, and of course, it had a local name and. Uh, um, people uh, uh, around and about uh, Laotians were, were thoroughly uh, familiar uh, with it. Um, it, uh, it. It turns out that the creature is uh, is no more threatened, uh, no more uh, close to extinction than um, than a human being. So um, you've got to wonder. Actually, there's a, a rather amusing um, little piece uh, written about the rock rat, uh, which was uh, titled uh, "How Many Scientists Does It Take to um, to, to Discover a Rock Rat?" Uh, well, I'd be curious to know the answer to that one. Now, um, I've spoken with a number of people that believe on the North American cont- continent there's a strong possibility that um, that a Bigfoot or Sasquatch-type creature still exists, and they believe that this is something similar to what you've described with the ape man, not in terms of physical characteristics, but something basically a creature that that time forgot. Uh, do you lend any credence to the idea that there might still be Sasquatches or Yetis running around somewhere? You know, some of the evidence um, is uh, some of the, the footprints and uh, uh, 
um, details uh, of uh, of those of casts that have been made of the uh, footprints. It's pretty pretty compelling, pretty uh, interesting. Um, the um, the eight men of Flores though have a lot more going for them. Um, for one thing, uh, Flores is is in a region uh, where you had. Uh, uh, pre-sapiens uh, hominins of, of other sorts, uh, like so-called uh, Java man, um, uh, you know, living in in the uh, in the region. There are also apes in Indonesia, of course, like gibbons and uh, uh, and orangutans. With um, Sasquatch, uh, by uh, contrast, um, the the only primates. They're only uh, non-human primates in in uh, North America or in the New World, for that matter. Um, are, um, are are monkeys? Mm. Um, uh, no, no apes. I mean, the, the only uh, um, uh, humans, uh, hominins, we have uh, fossil evidence for are uh, are ourselves Homo uh, Homo sapiens. So the earliest ones, of course, being uh, North American. Uh, North American natives. Um, let me just uh, mention as well that uh, I, I mean that the the, the uh, um, Floresiensis has, has been um, described as a large mammal, which it would be uh, you know difficult to miss. Actually, uh, it, it's not that big. You know, it, it is uh, about a meter at most. It, it would have stood about a, a meter or so. Uh, Tall, uh, whereas um, Bigfoot or Sasquatch, as I understand it, can uh, you know go up to two or three meters. So we'd be talking about uh, you know six and a half to uh, uh, over nine feet. So so it would be a lot more uh, uh, difficult to 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 miss one of those, uh, not to notice one of those if they were still uh, around. So um, uh, yeah. Of course, I mean, just because I think it could be proven that that, that uh, the ape men exist, um, just like we exist, that that wouldn't mean that the Sasquatch also uh, uh, exists. Uh, also, if it could be proven conclusively that uh, Bigfoot does not exist, that wouldn't mean that right. um, you know there aren't much smaller uh, uh, mystery hominoids in, in other parts of the world, like. Uh, like my ape man, so um, that, that, you know, each each case has to be uh, taken on its own merits. Is the point I'm making. Uh, understood. Now, what if, if there is interest in the scientific community or in academia about finding out if these ape men are running around on this island in Indonesia somewhere? What is the next step? Uh, let's say there is consensus or at least enough interest in determining if your theory is correct, what happens mm -hmm. next? Well, um, interested people, uh, uh, people trained in, in, uh, in uh, the natural uh, sciences, um, uh, field uh, zoologists or, or primatologists, people who uh, specialize in, in primates and work in the field, could, uh, could, could go in search of... Uh, uh, of these uh, of these creatures, um, I, I do spend a lot of time in in the book, uh, a lot of, take up a lot of space in the last chapter, uh, specifically, uh, although not too much space, not 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 uh, so much as to bore people, uh, explaining why it would be very difficult for uh, um, a professional, uh, a scientist, a, an academic scientist to. 
uh, get support in, in the form of funding and so on uh, for that kind of uh, that kind of, uh, of research. I myself am not a field zoologist. Uh, also, I'm uh, I'm getting on in age. I'm in my 70s already, and um, at the time I was doing the research on on the Leo. Um, uh, uh, eight men. I was uh, what already in my fifties, and uh, I've never been that athletic. That's another excuse. So, I, I, and I didn't, I didn't have the, the remit, you know, the, the permission to do that kind of research. So, uh, I, um, you know, I wasn't, uh, I didn't spend a lot of time uh, trying to ascend vertical slopes to reach uh, <laughs> highland areas where these things might be. Understood. Well, the book is Between Ape and Human. Its author is Dr. Gregory Forth. Uh, Professor Forth, it was a great pleasure talking with you and learning about this. Thanks for staying up late with us. Well, again, very much, uh, very many thanks for your interest. Thank you. If you want to comment, you can certainly give me a call, 1-800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. We'll go through the mail coming up in a moment. If you want to squeeze in some last-minute correspondence, you can email me now, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. That's frank.morano. That's uh, M-O-R-A-N-O at WABCradio.com. The mail straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. The Beastie Boys, very interesting song selection. Is that one of mine or yours, Matt Blaze? This is not from anybody. I mean, I don't know who put it in. I, I did not, and neither did you. I see. But I put it on because you said you like songs with a whistle. Yeah. And there's a whistle. All right. Not a flute. Okay. Close enough. All right. Fair enough. All right. Um, the Beastie Boys, there you have it. All right, without further ado, it is time to, for us to catch up on our written correspondence for the people that are either too thorough or too timid or too asleep to call in. Uh, we invite you to write to us, and we will read your... to the Frank Morano Complaint Department. Dear Complaint Department, will you please ask Mr. Morano when we can expect the next racket report? Tomorrow, or actually today. I uh, just finished recording one right before the show. My guest was the daughter of John Gotti, Angel Gotti, and uh, we had a fascinating, fascinating discussion, and I am hoping that it will be posted by uh, 9 or 10 o'clock this morning. So if you're not already subscribed to the Racket Report, this is one interview you are not going to want to miss. Al writes, Hey, Frank, being from New York and half Italian descendant, I and my dad called it Galamad. My mother 
also from New York, full Italian descendant, first generation, called it calamari. And manicotti to me is manigot, and marinara is marinade or madonara. LOL. It's more of a New York, North Jersey thing. And my mother and full Italian Nona said that in New York they butchered the real Italian pronouncing of classic Italian food. That seems to be the consensus, that it's less an Italian thing and more of a New York thing. Um, On that front, Christine writes, uh, subject irritable vowel syndrome. That was the subject of yesterday's podcast. Dear Frank, I hope I don't regret what I'm about to write. My email was inspired by the title of this morning's podcast, Irritable Vowel Syndrome, written by Molly, question mark? If so, congratulate her. I think the title has finally solved both my ancestors and my problems. We must be constipated. That dropped vowel is a case of IVS. A few years ago, my husband, who's been studying Russian for a while, said when I was learning Italian, Russian is very heavy on consonant clusters. It's constipated. Italian is musical, lots of vowels. It's light. However, in my grandma's house, we pronounce every one of the foods you mentioned in the way you do. Does this mean we all desperately need life change tea? I don't mind needing the tea, but I hate to give up sounding out words that make me feel warm inside, mostly because they remind me of my old neighborhood, my childhood, my parents and grandparents. So I may just have to stay blocked and continue pronouncing the language Without its lovely vowels. Mozzarella, antipast, galamad. One more thing. My husband, a wasp from California, has for years insisted I'm American, not Italian-American. Though third generation, I've always regarded myself as Italian-American with ancestors from Naples and Genoa. Genoa. He also reminds me that Brooklyn is the city, though we New Yorkers always refer to Manhattan as the city. Now who I ask is the anal one here. Love your show, as you well know. That's very kind. I have to give credit where credit's due, though. That very clever podcast title from yesterday was not Molly. Molly has retired. It is, from our program, at least for now, that was uh, Alex Barnard, who is, at least for now, in charge of podcast postings. Uh, This is an email to our pie goddess, Ellen Metzger, who says, hi, Frank, what a wonderful show you put on last night. Subject, pie and fun. I'm guessing that you could sense that we all, and you, needed a break from everything that's going on right now. It was lots of fun. Last night's show is just more evidence of how talented you are. Not only do you work hard finding and researching interesting, unusual topics and guests, but you're so much more. Sometimes I can't decide what you're at when you're at your best Discussing current events, issues, or just having a lighthearted conversation and recounting tidbits about your life. In any event, last night's show flew by, and before I knew it, it was time for 15 seconds of fame. I hope you and everyone else enjoys the pies I sent. I called, and Holterman said they were delivering. They were delivered this morning. See you tonight. Well, thank you again, uh, Ellen. Very kind to send pies. Uh, very, very kind. David writes... Hi, Frank. How exciting was it the first time you heard the WABC singers sing your name in the intro jingle between show segments? Also, where do they sit during the show? I never see them on the webcast. Excellent question, David. Um, First of all, it was about as exciting as can be. And Matt Blaze will tell you, one of the few questions I always ask him is, are we still playing that jingle? Because I feel like I don't hear it as much as I used to. But... When our former program director said to me at the time, if I was in your position and I was about to hear this kind of a jingle with your name on it, 
I would have been just blown away. And that's exactly what I was. Lester writes, here are two more inventions. Great segment. One, big sign outside of every bathroom, washed hands or did not wash hands. Very interesting. And two, you will like this one, an app on my iPhone that will make it look like a Samsung phone or whatever phone you're used to. Thanks for keeping me awake, Lester. That concludes this edition of... Until next hour, keep asking questions. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. Let me ask you a question. Did you ever, when you were a kid, maybe you still are a kid, when you were a young person, did you ever ring and run someone's doorbell as a prank? Sometimes they call it uh, ring and ditch, I guess. I can tell you, I don't think I've ever done this in my life. Never done anything like it. Um, Matt Blaze, were you ever a ring and runner? Do you have to ask? You were. Absolutely. What, so explain this to me. What is the thrill of seeing someone answer the door and then have no one there at the door? What What, what is the thrill? I don't get it. Well, for a nine-year-old, because that's when I did it, I was like eight or nine. It wasn't like I did it as a 20-year-old. But as a nine-year-old, we just found it hysterical to ring run, hide in the bushes, and watch the person walk outside on their doorstep looking around. Because back then, stuff like that, it's not like it is now where you, you hide when somebody rings your doorbell. Back then, people came out, and they'd look around. And to a nine-year-old, that was funny. Right. Okay. That's, I, that was I, it. I mean, I have more than that. never gotten it. I never got it. I never got it. But anyway, uh, apparently people still do this, which is news to me. And almost... I mean, half the people I know have some sort of a doorbell camera where you can see who's at your door. You just look at your phone or wherever else. Oh, there's a um, nine-year-old Matt Blaze ringing my doorbell and running away. Let me not answer that. So I, I can't believe people still do this, but they do. And sometimes it can have tragic consequences. Have you heard about this story out of Long Island? A Long Island man was arrested after shooting a 14-year-old boy who rang his doorbell as a prank last Thursday. James Moshier, 64 years old, was charged with assault and recklessly injuring a child with a deadly weapon after allegedly shooting the teen in the arm on his property around 9 p.m. last Thursday. The teenager knocked on Mosher's front and back door several times, causing a woman who lived in the home 
to believe that it was being burglarized. So she woke up Moshier, who went to his back door and allegedly fired a shotgun at the team. Several other teens who were at a sleepover with the shooting victim told um, News 12 Long Island that he and another friend were bored and had picked a random home in the neighborhood to doorbell ditch. Sometimes what we think are harmless pranks turn into major incidents. That's the South Hold police captain, James Genus. And he urged people to be smart. So the teen was tweeted was uh, treated at a hospital. Moshier, the 64-year-old that was arrested, was freed on $20,000 bail ahead of a court date next week. The detectives in this uh, community did not return additional questions for comments from the New York Post. So my question for you is, do you think it's right that this guy should be charged? He thinks he's being robbed. There's no indication that this shotgun was illegal. His, whoever this woman is that also lives in the house, I don't know if she's a daughter, a girlfriend, a wife, a maid, whatever. She tells James Moshier she thinks the house is being robbed. He hears something at the back door after having heard it at the front door and fires his shotgun. And hits this kid in the arm. Should he be charged? Now, I think it's a pretty good idea to, before you fire a shotgun at at somebody or something, at least have an eye on what you're firing at. That being said, that's easy for me to say when I'm not in fear of a home invasion. Now, imagine... Nine o'clock. This guy was sleeping. And you know how confused I get when I'm woken up from sleeping. You don't even want to know some of the whacked out things that I say when I uh, when I'm when I first wake up. I mean, I don't know what day it is. I don't know what year it is. I'm I'm like Khan in the beginning of space. What's going on? That's right. So this guy's essentially woken up. Probably works odd hours if he's asleep at 9 p.m is told his house is being robbed. He doesn't know what else these home invaders are going to do. No one's expected over. Someone rang the doorbell in the front and ran away. Was this reasonable for him to shoot at the back door when he thought he was being robbed? 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. So he's been charged with assault and recklessly injuring a child. Now, this child was on his property. Again, I'm not an advocate of shooting 14-year-olds. I want to be very clear. And I, I recognize boys will be boys. Kids will be kids. And I, I am very forgiving to youthful hijinks. Even at whatever age. I consider my youthful hijinks as having happened within the last week or two. But, I mean, I don't know that this guy should be uh, arrested for this. 
maybe, I don't know. Tell me what you think. 1-800-848-WABC. James Moshier shot a teen that was ringing and running at his door, front and back. What should happen to him? 800-848-WABC. That is the question. A question. Since before your sun burned hot in space and before your race was born, I have awaited a question. I have a difficult time having a lot of sympathy with these kids. Now, I know, as I said, kids do dumb stuff like this all the time. Fine. I get it. It's still just dumb. I mean, don't you recognize if you're going on to someone else's property uninvited that there's a chance this kind of thing might happen? 800-848-9222. Open lines if you want to weigh in. Um, maybe I'm being too harsh on these kids here. Is this something you ever do ha- have done? Um, I can't imagine what the appeal is. I am not against uh, a, a prank at all. I remember being on a cruise ship one time, and I pressed all the buttons in an elevator. This is when I was, I don't know, maybe 12, so that it would have to stop at every floor. It was annoying, I'm sure, to the people that were in the elevator after me. Inconsiderate, thoughtless, yes, yes, yes. Never was I really at risk of being shot for that. What did the people suffer other than a little mild inconvenience? 800-848-WABC, Paul in Staten Island, what are you thinking? Good morning, Frank. Morning. Um, We used to play Ring and Run. And at no time did we ever run to the back of the house after bringing the front bell or knocking, whatever. I think they're using this as a cover that they intended to do something else to the house because they were bored. And they got caught and used the excuse they were playing ring and run. Who who plays ring and run on front and the back door? You got to think the back door is all the way in the back of the house somewhere. I'm sure he had to go through a backyard, right? Yeah, so, I mean, that's a great point. You're right. I mean, usually it's just kind of a front door thing. And exactly. there, there, it's a, even a greater intrusion, and I don't know the layout of this guy's house, but it's an even greater intrusion on his property if they're going all the way to the back door. Yeah, so how are you going to run away now if you're stuck in the backyard and they're already out the front door? You know what I mean? And then he had, she had to wake him up. So they obviously were standing there for a minute or two while the woman's waking him up to come out, get the gun, and then go and find them. They're still standing there. Where were they running? Uh, So you think maybe they were out to rob him or something? uh, Well, something devious, because like I said, he said they were bored. So, you know, it could have been anything. But definitely, in my opinion, they were not playing ring of the run. Very interesting, Paul. Thank you. What say you? 800-848-9222. 1-800-848-WABC. Rick is in New Jersey. Hello, Rick. Yes, good morning, Frank. Good morning, Rick. Um, yeah, I, I I don't believe he should be charged at all. You know, First of all, you said, why do people do it? It used to be more than just ringing the bell. It used to have, like, people would burn a bag on the porch so the guy would come out and stamp it. Right, and right, right. And then a lot of times it has dog excrement. In right, there. right. That's there if you really other, dislike other someone. just ringing the bell. It was a prelude to a joke, you know? Understood. It was to, to get you out to trick you. 
But the front back thing is what concerns me. That would scare me because you don't know if it's two people or if one person's trying to ruse you to be checking the front while he's coming in through the back. You know, that that right there, that I think I had a, a right to like grab a weapon. Unfortunately, I believe New York is not a stand your ground weapon uh, thing. If you can retreat, you can't use your weapon. Even in New Jersey, they tell you, you have to go out a back window if you can before you can use your weapon. It's insane. So, so I think I think it, he will be charged, but he should not be charged. Well, he's already been charged. He's already been charged. No, that's, that's not that's not right. They should drop the charges. Somebody should drop the charges. or download downgrade it to something like discharging a, a weapon in, in city, you know, zone or something like that. But not not something that's a kid. Listen, you know, your caller right before was right. You you you. You don't know what this guy. They're they're trying to rouse you. You they're trying. You're about to do something else. You know. I mean, they're ringing your doorbell while they're stealing your car or coming through through a window. You know. I, you know. Don't 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 charge this guy. We got to stop this stuff. Yeah. Uh, agreed, Rick. Well, that's why I'm talking about it. Uh, what do you think? Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Jr's in Brooklyn. Hello, Jr. Hey. Good morning. Uh, yeah. Listen. You know. It was never an isolated house for Ring and Run either. Unless you happen to be the first house to get hit, which is a very strange coincidence. Did any other neighbors complain about these kids ringing and running their homes? Well, so it doesn't appear that way. It doesn't appear that oh. way. But it could have been the first house. Right. It could be a strange coincidence. And again, I don't know if uh, it's, it's, it's a, if it's such a sin that the kid needs to be shot. But in the same point, has this happened before in the neighborhoods? Like, my neighborhood was small. We constantly played Ring and Run, oftentimes on the same house, over and over for months. Well, you might be right. I don't know. Um, I don't know what the what the story is here and what history these kids have when they have sleepovers of doing this kind of thing. Um, that's that's a good question, and it's one that I, I don't know the answer to. So uh, that's a fair point. That's a fair point, Jr. So what do you think should happen to this fella? Well, he should stand some reckless endangerment charge without a doubt. Regardless of if you have a legal firearm, you, you can't just fire it out the door at someone. Yeah. It's way yeah. different than someone coming into your home. If you're that paranoid that someone's trying to get you and you can't tell the difference between a child and an adult, a prankster and a burglar or someone who's really trying to do your home, and you can't shoot anyone because you think someone might be trying to steal from you. Well, okay. Uh, that's interesting. It just seems... Um... Look, uh, it just I, everything you said is right, right? Uh, legally, ethically, right. morally, it's just what it seems unfair. I guess is what I'm uh, getting at here, and I recognize many aspects of the law are unfair, but it seems unfair that this guy who didn't ask to be the victim of a teenage prank and thought that he was being burglarized potentially is victim now. What? Sorry, what's he a victim of? Well, again, he didn't know. He was on the receiving end of a teenage prank, but he thought it could have been something much more devious. I'm, uh, okay, I, I get it, but at, at what point do you have a history of people trying to do this to you? You know what I mean? Is your, is your surrounding area high crime? 
Is this something that has happened before? Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I totally get it, Jr. I, I, I get it, I, and I get your point too. Like, how come you can't defend yourself against someone? But you don't know what they're doing. Well, so exactly. Right, exactly. You don't know what they're doing. Which, if if that's your house, it potentially makes it. And and thank you for the call, Jr. Very thoughtful. Thank you. It potentially makes it even more frightening. So let's say these people were out to rob him, r- rape his wife, steal his dog, assault him, and they were behaving in this manner. And then let's say this guy shot the one of the people trying to do that. I think you'd have a lot of people viewing this guy as a hero. Well, what's different? What's the only difference? The only difference is he would have guessed right about the malintent of the person doing this instead of guessing wrong. That's the only difference. When someone is doing this, when someone's an uninvited guest, you have to really guess at their motivations. I guess this is, in some ways, a commercial for having a ring camera system, which I've usually been against, although we have one. It's one of the many aspects of me being completely hypocritical. But if he had a ring camera system, he would have been looking, he would have been able to say, ah, oh, it's just some kids. Instead, he's left to wonder, who's who's doing that? They knock in the front. They knock in the back. No one's there in the front. And then they go to the back. The guy's told that they think they were up in the house. I don't blame him for being frightened and grabbing his shotgun. I, I, You know, look, I hear what Jr. and the previous caller are saying. You can't just blindly shoot a shotgun out, out and not know who you're hitting. I get it. But um, I hope this is a case that is able to go away with a slap on the wrist. Honestly, 800-848-WABC. What do you think? That's 800-848-9222. Patrick is in Huntington. Hello, Patrick. Good morning, Frank. I hope you're enjoying your pie. Yeah, I haven't had a slice yet because I am. I'm hoping it's all eaten by the time I get off air because I'm really trying to slim down and having like such delicious looking pie, especially from Holterman's Bakery. It doesn't do anything in my quest Uh, to avoid starch and sugar. Yeah, on the subject, I agree with almost all your callers. I I think we have to really look at the definition of home invasion. Uh, It's almost an act of terrorism. Uh, Suppose they started banging on windows. You know, they go to the front door, the back door, banging on a bedroom window, living room. You know, maybe we have to really examine what a home invasion is, even if they haven't entered the home. I mean, the terror... The terror that uh, the residents must have been feeling had to be, you know, quite great. Yeah. Well, I, I think I think you're right, Patrick. And, you know, it's uh, Matt Blaze found this article from uh, CBS2, who has some more information and a quote from the uh, police captain in this community, uh, which is Southhold, uh, the town of Southhold. And the police captain said we had... Sp- Several kids that were running around the neighborhood, knocking on doors and running away. Um, And one of the residents felt that somebody was trying to get into the house. 
felt threatened, felt frightened, and woke up the male occupant of the house who went to the back door and discharged this shotgun. After knocking on Moshier's door three times, the homeowner fired his shotgun through the glass, striking the boy in his upper right arm. I'll tell you, I I don't have a gun. Uh, But if I think someone, if I have reason to think that someone is breaking into my house with my wife and child there, I would rather be, I would rather err on the side of shooting them than not shooting them. I hate to say that, but it's true. I'm not going to wager that this person is not going to have ill intent. Now, again, that's where the camera issue comes in. Had they had a camera and been able to see what was going on, maybe that would have helped. But I'll tell you, you know, again, I'm speaking from my own experience. Do you know how irritating it is to come home and while you know your wife and child are home alone, to have um, messages denouncing you written and left on, you know, in front of your home repeatedly for things that you've said on the radio. I mean, that's happened to me. And it's annoying. It's worse than annoying. And to think that people are going to do that when I'm not home, it's infuriating. So I can understand the mentality of this guy. 800-848-WABC. Gary is in Inwood. Hello, Gary. Good morning, Frank. Uh, for my own, my own opinion, my first thought would be to call 911, have it on record. Yeah. Of uh, uh, this situation, this way is duly noted and uh, see how long it takes to have uh, my call answered before I take, take it any further. But I would want it on record that I did notify the you know, police department of this. That that's that's a great idea and it's a great suggestion. Thank you, Frank. Yeah, well, but would you still use the shotgun then? I once again I I hesitate because I want to see how long this would have gone on. Right. I wouldn't approach the door if I thought that I would get a response from the police department in a timely manner. Uh, thank you, Gary. Eight hundred eight four eight W A B C. Nick is in Syracuse. Hello, Nick. Hello, Frank. Uh, thank you for taking my call. Sure. Nick, um, um, Nick are, you listen- are you listening to us on the radio up there or on the Internet? I, I, I'm I, a driver. I, I leave from Newburgh every night, and right now I'm in Albany. But I usually get you on the thruway. I could get you all the way from Orange County all the way up to Syracuse. Oh, uh, okay. And I listen to you while I'm, while I'm driving. Great. But- Great. Um, I'm based out of Syracuse, so that's that's why I say it is. Gotcha. Okay. I'm I'm not spent much time in Syracuse, but uh, I'm friendly (laughs) with the mayor up there. Do you like the mayor? Oh, okay. Um, (laughs) I I don't really know too much about him. He's a newer mayor, um, and I guess a lot of people are satisfied with him and the work he's been doing better than other mayors in the past. All right, that's a very diplomatic so, um, answer there, uh, that, Nick. That, okay. That's what I've heard. Um, yeah. But I, I actually live south of town, but I, and I used to live in Rockland County. So, All right. Um, well, so you, you're uh, familiar uh, with all sorts of aspects of New York state as a driver and yeah. as a resident. Okay. So give me your view on yeah. what we're talking about here. Okay. I, I've owned firearms uh, or, or been in possession of firearms for about 35 years. And I'm, 
actually shocked everyone's coming off with that same notion of uh, discharging a firearm without actually seeing the person or through glass. Um, uh, the person's got to be in the act of a crime. Like even in Texas, you're allowed to shoot um, someone stealing your property, but you have to see the person in the act of a crime. Um, and before you can use deadly force, because any firearm is deadly force. You know, when you discharge that 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 projectile, I mean, I mean, at any that person could be dead in just a couple of seconds. Um, it, you have to wait. You have to identify your target, and I think it's just incredibly reckless to shoot through a wall or yeah. through glass. You have to announce yourself, and you call nine one one first. Right. But well, that person, it, it, the person didn't commit a crime yet. And let's say someone had an accident out in the yard, like you know, cut themselves or something. They're trying to get attention. Yeah, that's true. Uh, every, that's true. And Everything. They're banging on all your windows. They're not doing anything wrong. Uh, you know, I mean, you got to know what the person's. You can't assume an intent. Yeah, you're you right. Know, you, you're right, Nick. Uh, you know, Nick, you're right. Uh, good, great call, Nick. Thank you. I appreciate it very much. Hey, look, everything everybody said is true. And uh, look, I'm not a, a, a big gun guy. Um, I'm, you know, I don't have a shotgun. Don't intend to purchase one. But um, I don't know. I, I, this guy didn't ask for this. Did he overreact? Yes. But uh, I mean, look, I hope they're able to work something out here. That's my hope. 800-848-WABC. If you want to continue to chat about this, uh, we're going to cover some other issues as well. Between now and the end of the program, we're taking you till 4.58.40 this morning. And I believe both, uh, and then you'll get to hear the WABC early news with Deb Valentine, and I believe both Bernie and Sid are in today from 6 to 10. That'll be, that'll be fun to have them both back. All right, this is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. The G Clefs, the Ding Dong. A, uh, oh, Cut Ding Dong. Thank you. The selection. Seems very apropos. All right. Very good. I'm going to continue with your calls in, uh, in just a minute. So, yesterday, I told you how on Sunday we had put our son Carmine in his million dollar man Ted DiBiase outfit, the white outfit. Which, if you go to my Facebook page, facebook.com slash MoranoFan, you could see side-by-side a a comparison of young Carmine Morano, Carmine William Morano, and um, Ted DiBiase, both wearing that same white million-dollar man outfit. And um, so far, most people seem to think that Carmine wore it better. But obviously, I think most of the people that go on my Facebook page are probably biased. But anyway... So I was in such a mood uh, to tell my wife and son all about Ted DiBiase, who was a great wrestler and just a great personality. And so I was looking first on the WWE Network 
for I figured they'd have a good Ted DiBiase documentary on there. And I couldn't find one. Couldn't find one. Maybe it's a function of it's not as user friendly that that network. It's part of Peacock. And since maybe since they made the change to Peacock, it's not as user friendly. But anyway, um, I was able to find I think it was on Amazon. This other documentary called The Price of Fame. And I watched the first half hour of it on Sunday. And then I watched the rest of it uh, yesterday morning when I was up with with Carmine. When I came home and let Rachel sleep a little bit, I watched it as I was feeding him. And I got to tell you, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. Basically, and this is a documentary, and I wouldn't be talking about it if um, if it was something that was only likable for wrestling fans. This is a journey where Ted DiBiase's son, Ted DiBiase Jr., who also was a wrestler, he didn't have the kind of career his father did. He was only a wrestler for, uh, I guess, I think about 10 years. And now he's doing some other things. He does some acting, and he's involved in some other businesses and stuff. And so... Um, His son seems like a great guy, but Ted DiBiase Jr. talks to his father all about his life. And I knew that Ted DiBiase Sr. was really into ministry these days and being a Christian and everything that comes with that. I didn't know that when he was a wrestler, he was pretty wild on the road. And this this documentary, it really has very little to do with wrestling. I mean, there's a couple of old good Ted DiBiase clips, but that's really it. They do talk to some people that he worked with who were wrestlers, but they could have all just as easily been office workers. And it's all about how sometimes the price of fame really is too high and how in becoming this superstar wrestler, Ted DiBiase through running around on his wife, drinking excessively, doing drugs he really um, turned his back on the things that were most important until he found Jesus. And so I really, I thought it was a wonderful film. It's a few years old now. It's five years old. I think if you're a wrestling fan, you're going to like it. I think if you're a Christian, you're going to like it. I think if you're someone that has had issues with um, with alcoholism or substance abuse, you're going to like it. I think if you're someone that has ever had issues with your father wanting to live up to your father's expectations, being worried about uh, disappointing your father, I think you're going to like it because it also deals with some of Ted DiBiase Jr.'s own issues. And it's really, I'll tell you, I was watching this and I was exhausted yesterday as I usually am at 7, 7.30 in the morning as I'm watching this with, uh, with the baby. And I was almost in tears listening to... Ted DiBiase's wife and how she forgave him for his philandering. It was really very moving. It was really, really moving. And uh, like I said, I thought it was a great documentary. It's called The Price of Fame. It's on Amazon Prime. It's probably other formats as well. If you just have a smart TV and talk into your remote control and say The Price of Fame or even Ted DiBiase, it'll probably come. It'll probably come up. So I uh, I recommend it a great deal. 800-848-WABC if you want to continue commenting on the Long Island situation of this fella 
who shot a kid that was trying to ring and run at his house, or anything else that we've covered thus far. Ray is on Long Island. Hello, Ray. Hey, Frank. How you doing, buddy? Good morning. Good morning. I'm doing just fine. Thanks for asking. Frank, I'm worried about you. What I'm doing is I got a four-track reel-to-reel tape jack, and I'm taping everything. And you know what? Anybody who messes with you messes with me, and I'm going to track them down. Oh, boy. Well, I, I, so I, I feel... Out, everybody out there that tries to mess with you and threaten you, I'll find out who they are. Well, thank you, Ray. Uh, you know, fortunately, uh, the, you know, I haven't had any incidents in the last couple of months, but I do appreciate that. No, but, you know, I hear people, they get, they get angry and this. Uh, I got you covered, Frankie. Go on, do what you're doing. Good night. Thank you, Ray. Appreciate that. I will tell you this, you know, speaking of crime, my mother's longtime companion had the catalytic converter stolen from his car right outside their house. Can you believe that? This is a super safe neighborhood. But sure enough, had the catalytic converter stolen. So um, that's that. Melvin is in the Bronx. Hello, Melvin. Greetings. Um, Yes, in the state of New York, there's no self-defense law. It's called justification. It's two kinds of force. Reasonable force is open to interpretation. You don't have to testify. But deadly force, one must testify. And I can quote you a number of cases, particularly in the Bronx. There's a gentleman in his own house. I'm not talking about apartment. His own house caught somebody telling him to break in on his property. He got arrested for shooting him. And Roy Ennis, he caught somebody breaking into his car. And he got arrested because he put a stranglehold on this individual for breaking into the vehicle. And yes, the state of New York needs to reform. And when you talk about bail reform, Inquire what kind of bell was it? Was it a bond or cash? Because there's a difference. Because in a bond bell, you don't got enough money to make cash. The bell bonds person who puts up where you bring that little bit of cash you got will keep all of it. Where you can make the cash bill, which is very difficult if you locked up behind bars. You got to get somebody on your outside right. who will put up that cash for you. Yeah, that's and true. Deal with the city, it will take a piece of Albert. And what it does is favors those who have access to cash. Now, once again, when they do, when the, um, the judges release people on um, whatever it is on bail, they carry all these guns, they're doing it for one reason only. It's a setup. Because the police department is going to follow the individual and see where they're going to go, who they're going to go to, which will make their next arrest much more bigger picture. Because they know a whole lot of the individuals they're arrested for ain't got nowhere to go but back will put them in jail in the first place. So keep this in mind about the prison system, number one, in the state of New York. Yeah, uh, well, thank you, Melvin. Since, yeah, go ahead. Hello, sir? Finish, you know, finish oh, your comment. Go ahead. Oh, okay, same thing opened up in 1827. The same year slavery ended in the state of New York. In New Jersey, it was 1846. Same thing is still open and operating. Slavery uh, by all reports, it does not exist in the state in your own organization. Now, what is it that Sing Sing is doing that keeps you full? You keep that in mind. Yes, going to penitentiary is a product of a failed educational system. Now, you keep on taking the resource, and you got two states who do that in the United States. California is one, though. All right, well, Melvin, I, th- Melvin, I, think, they, Melvin they, I think we're getting a little off the beaten path of this specific. No, we're, not getting, we're talking about okay, what Hang on. Don't get angry. Melvin, okay. We're talking about improving the quality Melvin, of life right, based on where the resources are being placed. Melvin, Melvin. So, I'm not getting angry. I'm talking about, I'm talking about the truth. 
Okay. We, we acknowledge the truth. Then we Melvin, sit down and tell Melvin, then we move on. Melvin, thank you. There's nobody that has worked harder to get more people out of prison than me. Nobody. Nobody. There's nobody on the radio that knows more people in prison than me. You don't need to convince me that the prison system is bad and that there are too many people in prison. That being said, I think the comparison that you just made and the comparison that exists in the documentary 13 comparing prison to slavery is nuts. I think it makes no sense. Um, Slavery is something that people were born into. They were forced into. They were sold into. And most of the people, all the people in prison are there because they were convicted of a crime. Most of them committed that crime. So I think for you to compare being in prison to people that had no choice in life and grew up in bondage, I think it's insulting to people that actually were slaves and their descendants. Now, I think there's no reason we can't talk about how to improve the prison system. And I'm all for having that conversation. Uh, uh, College and prison, I'm all for it. More humane conditions for the prisoners, all for it. Better food, all for it. But you lose me, and I think you lose other reasonable people, when you say, well, they ended slavery in 1827, and that's the year that Sing Sing opened in New York. It's just, it's not at all analogous. Not at all. 800-848-9222. Mark is in Manhattan. Hello, Mark. How you doing? Uh, About the prank thing, I wonder if the man knew knew the neighborhood, if the kids did pull pranks, or they didn't. And I think the lady should have given him more info. She should have told him that the person was going back and forth to the front and the back. Maybe he would have took a minute to think about it if the kids did pull pranks in the neighborhood but if they didn't of course he thought it was a prowler but did you say the kid was running when he shot him uh that i don't know that's not a a detail that's in any of these articles oh okay i thought i heard that so uh, well if he was running then that's the problem but you know i don't know i don't know that so you know he had a decision to make yeah well he um again he shot through his own glass door towards his own backyard. So, I mean, clearly, I don't think the guy would have done that unless he was pretty frightened. Yeah, and like I said, the lady should have told him that somebody was going front to back, front to back, ring the bell. And, you know, he might have stopped for a minute and said, that sounds like these kids or something. But, you know, I don't know. That's, that's a position to be in, you know. Thank you. Well, thank you very much. Appreciate it. 800-848-9222. Sherman is in Manhattan. Hello, Sherman. Hello, Frank. Uh, outstanding show as usual. You thank know, everybody's, you. A, a, everybody's a backseat driver. Oh, the guy should have known this. Listen, you know what? I commend the guy. More homeowners should be able to protect themselves. The cops cannot, will not be everywhere. And speaking of protecting yourself, I think it's really disrespectful and a bit uh, crossing the line. How Curtis always asks 
callers on his show, and I've never called into his show, but I respect him, but I've never called in. He's asking people to spy on you. Why don't he ask the people to protect your home when you're not there and watch out for anybody that's leaving these disrespectful, harassing notes for you? Why don't Curtis ask people to do that as well, opposed to spying on you to get some gossip on you? Well, you see, a couple of things. I to be very rude on his behalf. First of all, Sherman, on your first point, I will say I think maybe the next Long Island teenager that thinks about ringing and running at somebody's house will think twice about doing it after hearing about this story. That's number one. I agree. Uh, number two, just in defense of Curtis, when he's talking about spying on me, he's really he's not encouraging people to show up at my home. He's encouraging people to listen to this radio show, which, uh, I mean, I'm all for that kind of promotion. And, look, Curtis has been over my home many times, so I, I don't think uh, I, I don't think he wants uh, people hanging around loitering outside of uh, our block any time. And, uh, and then lastly, um, you know, I, I just I I think that, um, you know, in terms of encouraging people to show up and and protect my home, I would not encourage anybody to show up. That's the one thing I just want to be clear. Thank you, Sherman. It's, uh, you know, people should not show up at my home uninvited. That's the operative lesson. Unless you're a really good ping pong player, then maybe we could talk. 800-848-9222. Tom is in Peekskill. Hello, Tom. Hey, Frank, how you doing? Oh, I'm hanging in there. Thank you. Good, good. Hey, uh, quick question about this. These, these kids, they were having a sleepover, right? Right. And they're all minors. Right. Where are the parents? I thought the same Correct. thing. Where are the, the parents? Thing. It's a you great question. I mean? Great question. And not for nothing, but where I come from, ring, you know, ding, dong, dash, ring around, whatever you want to call it. That's front door stuff only. You go into the backyard. That's a whole new territory. Well, man. that's what um, I think it was Paul in Staten Island raised the same thing. He said, you know, I used yeah. to ring and run, and you do the front door only. You don't do front and right, back, right. front and back. That that gets a little personal when you're in the backyard. Yes. You know, and, and, and anything can happen then, you know, all bets are off. Yeah, I'd you also know? like to know, and I guess they're not releasing the names of these kids because they're minors, but I'd also right. like to know if these kids at least got a citation for trespassing on this guy's property. If this guy's been arrested and released on $20,000 bond, are these kids at least going to get some sort of a, a, a citation or something for trespassing? I hope get so. You know, their parents, anything, you know. I right, mean, I'd hope so. Uh, thank yeah, you, Tom. Appreciate it. 800-848-9222. Uh, this is The Other Side of Midnight. If you want to comment on anything we've covered thus far, give me a call, 1-800-848-WABC. Straight ahead. We are New York on New York's Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. It is useless to resist us. Information Society walking away. If you ever want to know the music we play on this show, all you have to do 
is go on to our Facebook group. We post it each and every morning right after the show, that day's music. Just uh, search on Facebook, Morano Radio Fans and Haters. That's M-O-R-A-N-O Radio Fans and Haters. And whatever it is that you want to comment on, you can comment on. Ideally, related to the show. That's what we prefer. Topics, guests, you know, comments, music from the show. And I'm hoping that once more people start making topical comments, that we'll be able to have those conversations keep going on and on. You know, that's, uh, you know, that that's my hope anyway. So, Matt Blaze, you still have not yet tried this pie yet. Is that accurate? I have tried the blueberry. Oh, the blueberry. Good. What do you think? Blueberry, good. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. It's really good. I am, uh, I still have not tried it. Uh, how much is left? Did you notice? I have to ask Philippe because he was fin- he was planning on finishing off the pies. Oh, really? Good. For you. Yeah, thank you. Good. Said. Yeah, I, I honestly, I, it is a struggle because pie is one of my favorite desserts, especially if it's, you know, it's hot and then you throw a little ice cream on there and you get that mixture of the hot and the cold, especially blueberry. And I think that we have ice cream in the freezer. I'm pretty sure we do. So it's really... The last thing I need, you know, since Lent ended, you know, I I was able to take off some weight during Lent. Since Lent ended, I think I've put on uh, a pound and a half, maybe two pounds, which and I haven't really and I've still been pretty careful. The only thing I've been doing is on the weekends, occasionally having a couple of drinks. Maybe last weekend was more than a couple. So I, I don't want to put all the Lent weight that I took off on so quickly by devouring this pie, but I do like pie. So let's see where we are by the time Come on, the end slice. of the show. One slice. <laughs> the show. Come on, Frank, one slice. <laughs> by the end of the show, we'll see. Um, and uh, we'll see what happens. 800-848-9222. So we have this guy, and I meant to go over this when Molly was still here. We have this guy who insists that he won a hat as a consolation prize. I don't know if it was for the $1,000 minute or for when we were doing uh, Stump Frank or when it was, you know, for Ask Frank anything. But he insists that he won. And we have no record of this guy winning. Molly had no record of it. Our promotions department, led by Jake the Snake Roberts, they had no record of it. But the guy kept writing to me. And I said, can we get this guy an answer? And so we tried to investigate and investigate. And ultimately, I think they said, all right, well, let's just throw him a hat to shut him up. And I was opposed to it because I think once we start doing that, then it encourages people just to complain even if they haven't earned a hat. So I think they gave that guy a hat, but I'm discouraging that because then I think it'll be less incentive for people to buy a hat, more incentive for people to complain. And uh, I'm still looking for more of those photos. If you could take a photo of you sporting your The Other Side of Midnight Gear and post it in the Facebook group. You can buy those hats and those shirts and those blankets at WABCRadioStore.com. That's WABCRadioStore.com. Search The Other Side of Midnight or my last name, Morano. And if you enter the keyword Frank15, you'd save 15% off. There's a lot of great stuff, including there's a neat little sweatshirt with an alien on it. There's a blanket with an alien on it. We had a lot of great stuff there. All right. Uh, let me say hello to Gail in Manhattan. Hello, Gail. Hi. Good morning. I just wanted to give you my opinion. I think the uh, on Long Island, the man should not be charged with anything. 
the teenagers should definitely be charged. Uh, the fact that it was the front and the back doors takes it into another category right. of uh, really being scary. And these are not the times when we grew up and did more innocent pranks. Uh, it's a dangerous and scary time. You hear about these really horrid home invasions fairly often. And, uh, you know, it's going around to the back and the front, put it in a different category. But they shouldn't be doing it anyway. Well, Gail, I think you're right. I think you're right, Gail. I absolutely think you're right. By the way, um, filling in for the noon slot this week is James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snerdly. So from what I understand, he's both doing noon to one, or at least 12.15 to one, because I think that's the first first 15 minutes of O'Reilly, and then... Four to five. I don't get to listen at noon. I get to listen to a lot of the station, and I do listen to a lot of it. But from, I'd say about, unless I'm up to take, you know, Carmine to the doctor or something, from about 9 a.m. to 1 p.m., I'm always asleep. I'm always out of commission then. I never hear the programming on any station at that time, for better or worse. But uh, he's in. Those of you that are both Snurdly fans, he is in this week from noon to one. Jim is in Oak Ridge. Hello, Jim. Hey, hey, Frank, how you been? Uh, I just want to give you a thank you very much for, A, not having commercials as much as everybody else, like Art Bell used to do. He kind of restricted his commercials in the middle of the night. You know, it wasn't every, like, two minutes. I mean, during the day, you know, you have to, you have to pay the bills and all that. But, you know, I don't listen to the other station, you know what I mean, anymore because I can't deal with the commercials of every – you know, 17 minutes an hour where we show and the rest of it was commercials. And all your what you've been talking about is very much like you're the new Art Bell. Well, thank Honestly, you. You really? Yeah, I'm a, you I'm, a, just, I'm a big fan of Art Bell, obviously. And I, I was. And you uh, listened to him back in the 90s. And absolutely. The show was great. And you know what? You have his spirit. The other uh, channel, you know, I listened to it for a little while and I said, okay, it's the same old, same old. But then they started adding all that stuff in there i love how you segue into your 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 tea commercials you just kind of surprise you the sliding into it it's really great i love the way you do it uh, you're very kind jim thank you very much i appreciate the uh, compliment I'm listening to you. I, thank you jim i i did not uh have much to do with decreasing the commercial spot load uh, I have to give the credit there i think to our president uh chad lopez and our owner john katsimatidis they said, you know, unless things are paid, you know, don't run them. Now, we do have some commercials, and we'd like to have more, so don't get too used to not having those commercials. But, yeah, I mean, we're not going to run spots just for the sake of running spots, that's for sure. 800-848-WABC. Um, Larry's in Beth Page. Hello, Larry. Frank, good morning. Morning. So, simple question. Um you and Curtis Lewa, you've had this um, ongoing battle for the last couple of years, and it's sometimes gotten con- very contentious. Um, this is a simple question. John Casamides has to make a choice. He is a volunteer fireman, and there is a fire, and he can only save you or Curtis. Who is he going to save? <laughs> Uh, I hope that uh, I hope that doesn't come to pass. 
But, um, you know, I think he might I think he would probably save Curtis. I mean, Curtis is an institution in this city. I think he might save Curtis. <laughs> you know, wow. I, uh, I, I I'd like, you know, but, you know, they go back farther than uh, than John and I do. So uh, John and I are, are very tight. You know, he's told me on more than one occasion he considers me family and I feel the same way. You know, we invited him I to just, our son's christening Sunday, it, but it's Curtis is different. Happens me, too. I don't know if John could really get either of you over his shoulder at this point. I, I think he might surprise you, Larry, uh, but uh, certainly he'd find a way to get us both saved, if humanly possible, I'm sure. Jeff is in Suffolk County. Hello, Jeff. Hi, Frank. How you doing tonight? Great. Uh, uh, Curtis couldn't hold your jockstrap. I crashed him. Well, I, I, I don't, I don't really care to have uh, him try. Well, I mean, like... Uh, no, I'm kidding. Well, somebody kidding. else said something about getting a prize. And, you know, you, I, I beat you in Seinfeld. You sent me a hat. Right. No problem. Right. I beat you in Seinfeld again, and I won another hat, but they wanted my life history to get this friggin' hat. And I just, I don't do that stuff, bro. Well, at least you got your hat. What are you worried about? Well, I need something for my wife, babe. Well, she's got to call in. And do no, something. she don't call. And I, I do everything for her. Come uh, on. Well, like, you do everything for Rachel, I do everything for her. But, Jeff, don't you think, I mean, come on, maybe you could go to the WABC radio store, you know, plunk down $18 on a on a hat. All right. I'll, I'll do that, Frank. Thank you. Thank and, you. And, the, and the website is Morano. Lovers and haters. No, uh, no, no, no. So the the what the, to buy a hat, you go to WABC. No, no, Facebook, Facebook. Right, right. So on no Facebook, Facebook, on Facebook, you just search Morano Radio fans and haters. It's not Frank Morano. Okay, thank That's you it. very much, and I will be in touch. Thank you, Jeff. There you go. All right, eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Hey, coming up next, one of the stories that I've had on my list all all week. In fact, in last week also, is this Bill Murray situation. Have you followed this Bill Murray situation? If you've listened to me before, you know what a fan I am of Bill Murray and his work. Um, not only his his films, but uh, going all the way back to Saturday Night Live and a lot of the other great work that he's done. And evidently, um, they have shut down production on this new film, because he was making some people feel uncomfortable. Uncomfortable. So I'll tell you about that after the uh, after the top of the hour. And then um, it looks like Disney did move forward. I mean, uh, Florida did move forward with removing that special zoning restriction that they have down there, that special district where that allowed Disney to essentially be self-governing. So we're going to do an update on that tomorrow and hopefully provide some additional context and some additional insight. I was listening to O'Reilly as I was driving in last night, and I was glad that O'Reilly pointed out that while they have stripped away Disney's special governmental status, they're still enjoying hundreds of millions of dollars in tax breaks. That's not something that DeSantis took away. So it's not it's interesting. It's not as if. Florida told Disney to go to hell. So the mouse is still very much alive in the Sunshine State. All right, Bill Murray, we'll talk about him uh, next. We'll do the $1,000 minute. We still got 15 seconds of fame and your calls at 800 848 9222. That's 800 848 
WABC. Until next hour, in the words of the great Robert Ciro Giganti, your influence counts, so use it. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Bill Murray is somebody that uh, I'm a big fan of. And, and, you know, he's great in comedic roles, but he's even very good in dramatic roles. You go down the list of great Bill Murray movies, and he's just great in everything. You know, I've said this before. Whatever field you're in, if you're in the public eye, the toughest, the Second toughest thing that you can do is have success in the public eye. Have people vote with their TVs, their radios, their movie purchases, their books, whatever, that they're choosing you over a thousand other options. It's the toughest thing. Second toughest thing. The actual toughest thing is to have success over longevity. Now, Bill Murray has been knocking him dead over the course of five decades. The 70s, the 80s, the 90s, the 2000s, the 2010s, over the course of six decades. Really? Who? How many other comedic performers or any kind of performers can say that? It's a handful. It's a handful. I mean, if you're still a draw... In your sixth decade of doing whatever it is that you do, you're a special person. By now you have heard this story. Bill Murray, star of the Ghostbusters movies, Groundhog Day, What About Bob, Rushmore, St. Vincent, Stripes, the list goes on and on. Remember that... You know, again, this is what makes Bill Murray so interesting. You remember that um, Little Shop of Horrors scene where Steve Martin plays the dentist? You remember his patient in that film is Bill Murray. That's his only scene in the film. But he's so memorable in such a small role. You take any other actor, I don't know that they could have done that. So I'm a Bill Murray fan, so my cards are on the table going in. Bill Murray, this is now being widely reported, Bill Murray was allegedly, quote, touchy with women, with the women on the set of Being Mortal, that's the name of the film, before the shoot was shut down, a source exclusively told the New York Post. 
Filming of the 71-year-old Saturday Night Live Legends movie was suspended last week after a complaint was reportedly filed specifically against the actor alleging, quote, inappropriate behavior. Now, you hear inappropriate behavior. What's he doing? Is he uh, assaulting people? Is he groping people? Is he doing like uh, Kevin Spacey to people? So by last Thursday, the film was suspended indefinitely amidst an investigation into the Ghostbusters stars on set action. Now, listen to this. Uh, Now, who knows what the truth is? Certainly not me. But a source told Page Six, quote, he was very hands-on touchy, not in any personal areas, but put an arm around a woman, touched her hair, pulled her ponytail, but always in a comedic way. It's a fine line, and everybody loves Bill. But while his conduct is not illegal, some women felt uncomfortable, and he crossed a line. A separate source involved with this picture who's says that Murray, who's apparently single, quote, loves women and loves to flirt. He enjoys poetry and romance. He's always flirting, but it's always couched in comedy. It isn't clear if he crossed a line. So I am looking for something that's worthy of shutting down a film here. And I'll be honest, I'm not hearing it. Now, could there be more that didn't come out? Maybe. Maybe. Maybe there's, uh, they're trying to save Bill Murray's reputation by not mentioning to the press all the really bad stuff that he's doing. But if this is all that is being done here, is this really worthy of shutting a movie down and all the jobs that this involves and sullying Bill Murray's reputation publicly? And this is what I love. Whenever somebody is, and this is why I think people really love comeback stories. Whenever somebody is temporarily down and out, you can always count on somebody to kick them while they're down. The the kick them while they're down mentality in this country, and maybe the whole world, maybe this is part of human psychology, but I suspect it's worst here and it's worse in the media, is so prevalent and I am so sick of it. Meanwhile, Richard Dreyfuss's son, Ben, dropped a bombshell allegation Thursday night that the Walt Disney Company was forced to hire bodyguards, bodyguards, to protect the cast and crew of his dad's 1991 comedy, What About Bob from Murray? I mean, please, please. Bill Murray's done probably 60 movies in his career. You mean to tell me that he's such a menace to the people that are working in these films that they honestly thought that Bill Murray was going to do something? So Ben Dreyfus, 35 years of age, claimed on Twitter... Oh, that's a classy way to handle it. Run to Twitter. Claimed on Twitter that Murray had a meltdown because he wanted an extra day off. 
but was denied by the producer. Murray allegedly ripped off the producer, ripped off her gla- ripped off her glasses off her face, and my dad, this is Ben Dreyfus tweeting, and my dad complained about his behavior, and Bill Murray threw an ashtray at him. Quote, Everyone walked off the production and flew back to L.A., and it only resumed after Disney hired some bodyguards to physically separate my dad and Bill Murray in between takes. He then offered sarcastically, I was like five at the time, and these are some of my fondest memories, fondest and earliest memories, LOL. Good movie, though. It is a good movie. The elder Dreyfus, Richard Dreyfus, previously addressed the alleged ashtray incident by calling Murray a drunken bully, but without airing all the dirty laundry. Um, Richard Dreyfus, who I also am a big fan of, revealed in 2009, he put his face next to me, nose to nose, and he screamed at the top of his lungs, everyone hates you, you are tolerated. There was no time to react because he leaned back and he took a modern glass-blown ashtray He threw it at my face from only a couple of feet away, and it weighed about three-quarters of a pound. And he missed me. He tried to hit me. I got up and left. Now, here's my problem. The Dryfi, the Dryfuses, the Dryfus affair, was 30 years ago, 31 years ago. You mean this is the extent of what a monster Bill Murray is? That they have to dig up the son of a co-star from 31 years ago to say something negative. And then, as far as Richard Dreyfuss' comments goes, they had to go to 2009 to get his comments on this. It just kills me. I I hate this, like, kick them while they're down, pile on, let's find a quote from 13 years ago. And a, and a negative anecdote from 30, 31 years ago. What happened on the set of What About Bob in 1991 is not at all relevant to what happens on a movie set in the year 2022. It's not. It's just more of this kick them while they're down mentality. And I don't like it. What do you think? 800-848-WABC. I mean, as far as them needing to hire bodyguards on set, Disney needing to hire bodyguards, well, there should always be adequate security on a movie set. Now, I'm not excusing inappropriate behavior on the part of Bill Murray, but is it really exactly breaking news if a movie star has a temper tantrum? You know, you've seen the movie Caddyshack, right? Fine film, very funny. It's one of those films that's it's funnier the third or fourth time you watch it than the first. But Bill Murray uh, and Chevy Chase only have one scene in that film, even though other than Dangerfield, they're probably the biggest stars in that film. Why is that? Because Bill Murray and Chevy Chase at the time hated one another, hated one another. In fact, there was one incident where... When Chevy Chase, if I'm remembering the story correctly, when he came back to host Saturday Night Live, he and Bill Murray got into a physical altercation. It was kind of like a a slap fight. Nobody was seriously harmed. It was like a Hollywood slap fight. But, I mean, tensions exist on movie sets. It's kind of the nature of 
a lot of creative artistry. Again, I'm not excusing inappropriate behavior, but it happens. It's happened throughout the history of cinema. There should always be adequate security. If something's really crazy and the authorities aren't handling it, then you get the police involved. But based on what I'm hearing in this Bill Murray story, sounds like a whole lot of nothing, quite frankly. Give me your thoughts. Tell me what you think. We have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven open lines. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. If you want to comment on this or anything else we're covering. Uh, Coming up in about uh, 15 minutes, we will do the $1,000 minute. Um, But uh, I find these allegations about uh, being mortal just... Silly. Silly. You know, bringing up these anecdotes from 31 years ago. It's not my thing at all. Don't like that. Um, you want to find me on Twitter? You can do so at Frank Morano. I'm trying to get more followers than Kim Kardashian. So far, it's not working. Uh, but if you want to help in my journey, you can follow me at Frank Morano. Throw me a couple of retweets along the way. If there's anything that you like. That's at Frank M-O-R-A-N-O on Twitter. Fred is in Brooklyn. Hello, Fred. Hey, good morning, Frank. I'm so glad you're on this time. And I have no one else to talk to when I'm driving to work. Wonderful. Great. Um, I'm here for you. Fantastic. Great listen, too. Um, Bill Murray, he's a character. In life, in private, I'm sure he's just a character. But Richard Dreyfuss has a history of having problems with other actors. For example, Robert Shaw and Richard Dreyfuss had great problems on the set of Jaws, and and they kept them separated and only let them interact on the camera. So when you see them not getting along, and and you could tell that they actually don't like each other, it comes through in the film, and and I thought it made it uh, that much more enjoyable. Well, I I didn't know about the the behind-the-scenes tension, but I I think if that's the case, and I have no reason to dispute that, it does, that sort of natural tension between their two characters, it does come across well, I think. I think it does sort of fit their roles. Yeah. Um, From what I understand, they couldn't even sit in um, pre-readings and things like that going over the script together. Spielberg just thought it best to separate them completely and only let them interact on the camera. And it shows. I, I think even the facial expressions when they talk to each other shows that, uh, oh, not this guy again. Hey, well, why is he going after me? It, it shows in every part, and, it, and I like it like that. And maybe that was the same thing with Dreyfus in uh, What About Bob? Well, maybe it could be. I, I don't know if you remember the film. I haven't seen it in years. But their two characters, Dreyfus and Bill Murray, did have a great deal of tension with one another. Mm. You know, well, I mean, that well, I remember parts of it. It doesn't, it, it, it doesn't stay in my memory. Yeah, well. I mean, Maybe it was I'll catch it again now that I know. I mean, it's fine. It's, it's 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 a good movie. It's not a. I wouldn't call it a classic, but it's fun. It's it's a fun film. You know, it's it's. A film. I definitely never bought the DVD or or downloaded it. So, got I mean, it. I'll check it out next time it's on. Yeah, I'll check come. it out. Thank you, Fred. Eight hundred eight four eight WABC. Steve is in Manhattan. Hello, Steve. Fire the sensor. Frank, I'm glad you didn't give in, man. Um, there's a lot of people in this audience who are big Bill Murray fans. They grew up with him in the 70s. They love this guy. 
He's a lovable character. But I think we got to stop with these memos like from 50 years ago. If you know the point I'm trying to make, you're coming up with things, people accusing people from 20, 30, 40. Yeah, I mean, exactly. I mean, just I mean, to give the perfect the- example, when I when I had your your hero, Pep Buchanan, on last week, people were bringing up quotes and posting quotes in the Facebook group from 19 from from 31 years ago. I mean, I mean, it's like, and they expect me to bring these up with him uh, now when that's not at all the topic that we're talking about. I mean, to me, it's like you, there's got to be some sort of statute of limitations on 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 bad behavior. Right, especially when their facts are incorrect. And uh, but you know what, Pat not becoming president did prove that the elections are fixed and the voters are morons. But getting back to this other thing now, um, you, you can't. Where, where do we draw the line? Kindergarten is, you know, there's, yeah. where's the point that we draw a line on this stuff? Listen, I, I'm all against women being harassed on the job site. Same. I've seen it. I've seen women not turn it in because I don't know if they were afraid. I don't want to use the other term that could be used in out in the street. But the thing is, we're all most most decent guys are all against it because those are our mothers, our sisters, our uh, you know friends, our girlfriends, our wives out there. We don't want them being harassed. I say draw the line right there, no matter what, and don't give me this nonsense that you're worried about your job. No, your dignity is more valuable, and then you let this guy, if he's a creep, you just give him an open field to go all over the place. Any uh, questions, follow-ups, Frank? Uh, they've all been answered, Steve. Thank you very much. I apologize for uh, Philippe trying to label you as John from Bayonne earlier. 800-848-WABC. Uh, that's uh, 1-800-848-9222. You know, I got an email the other day from a woman who listens in Spain. And she listens every day from Spain. Uh, by the way, in the, on Facebook, another woman writes she listens every day from France. So there you have it. She must have appreciated my coverage of the French election. I'm curious if she agrees with my take that uh, ranked choice voting would be preferable to that runoff. But that's a subject, subject for another day. So this nice woman, Susanna, writes me uh, today and she says, I, I was actually really surprised with a lady who called saying she was looking for a kidney donor. In Spain, unless you state otherwise, everyone is an organ donor upon death. I have spent a lot of time talking about this, Susanna, and that should be the case in the United States. And I've proposed this in New York and others have. In my opinion, everybody should be an organ donor unless you specifically opt out. It should be the opposite of the way it is now. The way it is now is you have to opt in to organ donation. When the reality is a lot of people just don't think of it. There's one thing that everybody can do to save a lot of lives, not just a life, but a lot of lives. But to do what uh, my Uncle John has done, uh, my friend Danielle has done, and be a living kidney donor, that's really heroic as far as I'm concerned. I think that's really great. And and Sophia, uh, who listens to this show, I don't know much about her other than that she's a listener, and I think she sent me some nice tab glasses, which immediately, as far as I'm concerned, propels her into the top echelon of listeners. She is in need of a kidney, and you don't need both of yours, so give her one if you can. I'd love to give her one of mine, but, you know, I, I am concerned that if my if my wife or a sibling or my son needs one, then I won't be in a position to give. That's the only thing that prevents me from giving Sophie a mine. But it is what it is. 
800-848-WABC. By the way, if you do want to give your kidney away, email me at frank.morano at wabcradio.com, and I will connect you with Sophia to make that kidney match. And again, like I said yesterday, if you want to talk about a, a way to instantly get into heaven, that's a great way to do it. I mean, who's going to – you go up to the pearly gates and St. Saint, Saint Peter is asking, you know, what do you do to get in here? Come on, take a look at this scar. I gave a kidney away. Saved a life. All right, come right in. Doesn't matter that you uh, bet on baseball, you know, or anything else. Go right in. Chris is in Locust Valley. Hello, Chris. Good morning. Good morning. I have friends and family that work in TV production work uh, on sets and stuff like that, and they always told me the most funniest people you see on TV or the most miserable. I'm like, I always ask why, Daddy, why? And they're like, they always have to act like they're silly and happy. You know, I've heard that as well. Um, I think that certainly can be true in many instances, but I don't think it's necessarily always the case. You know, I know a lot of comedians who really are jovial and fun off air. It's true. A lot of them are sort of, um, you know, tortured souls, but um, I, I don't think that's true of everybody. I'm sure it's true of many. I don't think it's true of everybody. You're right. You're right. There's, there's like the one one time my father ran into uh, Will Ferrell, and he's and he's like he's very downtrodden. He always feels like he has to be like the happy clown guy, but he's like he walks around. He's always pissed off and miserable. Yeah, but um, you know, you take a guy like Jerry Seinfeld. I don't think that's the case at all with him. No, I believe I believe it's your whole disposition towards life. It, you're right. It's not every, but it seems like the ones my father ran. Like the, I don't want to give any other big names out, but you know, it's it's that uh, he said they're just happy people. Feel like they always have to entertain. Where did he find all these comedians that he was running into? Well, no, no, he worked. You know, when he worked production, he did. He I did see. Okay, so work. it was in as part of his work. I got you. All right, very yes. good. Well, did he ever have a problem with Bill Murray? Um, no, he said, well, he actually worked on Saturday night, like in the eighties. Yeah. So now he worked in the eighties and he says, most of them were all good, but most of them were all drugged out. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that's, uh, that the history of Saturday night live and the parties back then is uh, pretty legendary. Chris, thank you. Uh, I think that's a no. Did he ever have a problem with Bill Murray? I didn't hear an answer. There. That sounds like a no to me. All right. Uh, we're going to give you an opportunity to win $1,000 in just a minute. If you want to be the seventh caller to 1-800-848-9222, that's 1-800-848-9222, you can try and answer 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds. Coming up on the Bernie and Sid show today, you will get to hear, I believe it will be both Bernie and Sid today, uh, you will get to hear Bo Deedle who I occasionally like to call Bo Deidle, and Joe Tacopina, the legendary criminal defense attorney. So that should be quite a show. Uh, Bo Deidle and Joe Tacopina. 800-848-9222. Be the seventh caller now to participate in the $1,000 Minute. We'll, we'll play it straight ahead. It looks like I'm a wreck. It's in the hole. It's in the hole. Hey. Just let it be. Oh, hey. 
Uh, this song, of course, from the film Caddyshack, which, uh, you know, apparently was not really well-reviewed at the time that it came out. That was one of those things that became sort of a cult classic and a much bigger hit later in life. But something that was a hit since we began it long ago is our efforts to give listeners $1,000 as part of... Midnight presents It's the Thousand Dollar Minute Answer ten questions correctly in one minute And you could win one thousand dollars Here's your host Frank Murano Thank you Chris Libertini Let's meet today's contestant Robert in the Boogie Down Bronx Hello Robert Hey Frank, how you doing? Doing well, what neighborhood in the Bronx you live in? Frog's Neck. Oh, great neighborhood. You like it over there? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's too quiet. It is quiet. <laughs> Be careful what you it's wish nice. for. Be careful what you wish for. All right. Do you, um, do you, are you familiar with this contest? Have you heard it before? Oh, yeah. Great. All right. So it's pretty simple. All you have to do is answer 10 questions in 60 seconds. Most of the questions are pretty simple, too. All you have to do is, um, if you answer a question correctly, I'm just going to move on to the next one. You get one wrong, Matt Blaze will play a buzzer. You ready to go? Right. Yep. Okay. The timer will begin after I ask the first question. Ready? And what year is it? Oh, 2022. Name a football team. Jets. What ship did the Pilgrims take to America? Mayflower. What is the Earth's only natural satellite? The moon. What borough do both Curtis Sliwa and Sid Rosenberg originally hail from? Brooklyn. Who was governor of New York State immediately before Andrew Cuomo? Oh, it's happy. Ah, I thought for sure you were going to get that, Robert. No, it was Governor David Patterson. Oh, yeah, right. Okay. He's on the station all the time. He's on with John. He's on with me. He's on with uh, Bernie and Sid. Uh, but you played well. You got uh, six questions correct. Uh, excuse me, five questions correct. You lost on the sixth. So I'm going to put you on hold, and uh, Philippe will take your information, and we will we will get you a consolation prize of some sort. Hey, thanks. Thanks, Robert. Thanks for playing. So we're going to give Robert. I believe this week we're continuing to give away the other side of midnight T-shirts. If you want one of your own, you can. Go to WABCRadioStore.com. That is WABCRadioStore.com. 800-848-9222 if you want to comment on anything else we've covered. I know I'm going to regret this, but what the heck. Uh, Joe is in the Bronx, been holding for 161 minutes. Hello, Joe. Yes, oh, I'm on. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, you, you really just put me to sleep. I'm, I'm, I apologize. Um, but yeah, with regard to your uh, guest earlier uh, that talked about Title 42, 
I mean, in terms of uh, illegal immigration, it's a monstrous fraud and crime against American taxpayers that illegal immigrants are costing well over $150 billion a year in services and lost taxes, tax revenue to the government. Now, in addition to that, I mean, so far as the, the damage they do in terms of crime, social welfare, and damage to the economy in terms of remittances and everything else that negative effectly, negatively affects the American population, again, it's a monstrous crime. What? But, uh, one one uh, aspect of illegal immigration you very seldom hear about from the mass media is the aspect with regard to organized crime from immigrants from the former Soviet Union. Now, they're often referred to as the Russian mafia, but that's really a misnomer because very few of the people in the Russian mafia are actually Russian. Most of them are actually Ashkenazi from the former Soviet Union. Now, there's a book titled Red Mafia by Robert Friedman. Okay, It came out in 1990, but it gives a good synopsis of uh, Russian organized crime in the United States. I want to quote directly from the book one police detective in New York that Friedman spoke to. Regarding the Russian mob, he said, quote, Why are we being victimized by non-citizens who can run to Israel or Russia and not be extradited? Why are so many of their doctors practicing without a license? Why is every ambulance service in Brooklyn run by the Russian mob? They're, they've infiltrated, they're into Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid fraud. They've invaded Wall Street from boiler room operations to brokerage houses. Nothing is too small for them to steal. Even the guys with the multi-million dollar Medicaid scam still have to have their food stamps. Close quote. Now, again, the Russian mob is not Russian. It's overwhelmingly Ashkenazi Jewish from the former Soviet Union. Now, it's not surprising that the media does not cover the monstrous organized crime and economic dream that these parasites from the uh, Soviet Union are costing American taxpayers. Because most of the mass media is run by the same ethnic group. Ashkenazi Jews. There you go. There you go. Thank you, Joe. I knew we would get there. Time after time after time after time after time. (sighs) When does it stop? There you go. I knew he wasn't talking about the Russian mafia actually owning, uh, controlling the mass media. I hate that guy. It all comes back to the Jews, right? At least in Joe's world. Um, All right. I'll let those comments speak for themselves. So be it. Now. Uh, 800-848-9222 if you want to call in and ideally ideally say something that's not filled with hate or anti-Semitic. Would love that. But um, you, you comment as you see fit. Coming up in about uh, 20 minutes, we'll, we'll, we will do 15 seconds of fame. I will tell you, so before I got married, <clears throat> my, a, couple of, uh, a couple of weeks before I got married, my siblings and I had dinner. At uh, at a restaurant in Manhattan, legendary, long long time established restaurant, and we established all these rituals. Now I'm the oldest, but we established all of these rituals, including the airing of grievances and a bunch of other things. And it was really fun. It was just the four of us, and it's rare that it's only the four of us that get together. Usually, uh, you know, our parents will be around or. Uh, my wife or our cousin or one of their significant others. It's very rare 
that it's just the four of us. I, I, in fact, I can't remember since then if there's been another occasion where only the four of us have gotten together. So now my brother Nicholas is getting married. And what we had agreed, and at least this is my memory of this dinner, and I think it's certainly two of my three siblings' memory of this dinner, is we had agreed that whenever one of us gets married, the tradition would be we would have this same siblings' dinner with many of the same rituals and have it at the same place. So now that my brother Nick is getting married, We've scheduled this siblings dinner for Friday. And I was going to try and make a sense of uh, make a um, reservation at this same restaurant. So I we're on this group text where we're going over all this. And my brother Nick lives in Brooklyn. He says, well, would anyone mind? If we had dinner in Brooklyn instead. So this way we don't all have to go into Midtown Manhattan for this dinner. Now, Claudia, my, it's my sister. Claudia says to me privately and when I saw her, she came to the ping pong tournament on Saturday. She said, well, I don't know. That's not really the tradition. The tradition is that we dine at this particular restaurant. I said, I don't know what you guys want to do here. And Claudia says, well, I guess we could make the tradition whoever is the person getting married can pick the venue for the restaurant. And she said, well, you know, but if it were him, I mean, if it were me, I would think that's bad juju. could be bad luck if we pick a different restaurant. I mean, you and Rachel are still married three and a half years later. So... I mean, clearly, we should try and emulate as many of those same rituals as possible. So in the group text, I guess we agreed that that's going to be the tradition, is that whoever the person is getting married gets to pick the restaurant that the four of us dine at. But uh, I am wondering if maybe Claudia is right. Maybe this could be bad luck. I certainly hope not. But, you know, I am pretty superstitious. I I know some of you are, too. Curious what you think. 800-848-WABC. Josh is in Westchester. Hello, Josh. Josh. Hello. Hey, Josh. How are you? Hey, good morning. How are you? Good. Yeah, I'm calling in two weeks. Wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah, that last caller with the anti-Semitic comments, I think... uh, I think you should have called him out on that a little bit sooner. I, I, I also wasn't sure where he was going, but, um, yeah, guys like him well, I, understand. Josh, I don't know if you've ever heard any of his previous calls, either to this show or any of the other shows, but that's actually as subtle as he can possibly be. His anti-Semitism is usually much more overt. You know, last time I spoke to him, he took issue with the fact that uh, – you know, my wife, even though she's not a practicing Jew, she has Jewish lineage and uh, essentially said that both she and I are dirty because uh, she's Jewish. I mean, he's really just a a reprehensible person. Yeah, but I, I think if he were making racist comments, he would never be allowed on the radio again on WABC. 
And I think anti-Semitic comments should be treated with the same sort of uh, approach. I mean, yeah, well, that's an interesting point because he makes racist comments also. Um, not in the same way. Well, this was yeah, well, he, he says, he I mean, usually, you know, his whole narrative is Jews control the media and run the world and run the government. Blacks commit all the crimes. Uh, that's basically Joe from the Bronx in a nutshell. But um, I thought about that because there are other callers that management has prohibited from going on the air for much less, for much less uh, of transgression. And I thought, well, maybe I shouldn't go to his call either. And and I usually don't. He's on. He's been on hold literally the whole show. And um, the reason I, I do go uh, to his call once in a blue moon is because I really think that hearing someone so filled with hate, really, it, one, makes you aware of how real and how present anti-Semitism is. I know you don't need that lesson, but I think a lot of people... I don't think you did anything wrong. I felt like you did call him out on it. Well, no, I, I guess the completed comment. Well, I, guess, I, guess, I guess the debate is, Josh, in, in my own brain is whether or not, you know, anti-Semites or vicious racists or homophobes or whomever should even be given any sort of a platform to begin with. I think there's some educational value in to the public in hearing that voices like that are still out there. But it sounds like you think maybe they shouldn't just shouldn't be heard at all. um, I'm a big believer that let the anti-Semites say what they have to on Twitter and any, any kind of public forum so you know who they are. So when you're in a restaurant or you're in the church or wherever you go and the anti-Semite is near you, you know that. The racist is near you. The man of hate, you know who they are because we allow them to publicly proclaim it. So, um, yeah, in a way, it's, uh, it's good on that level also. But I think um, yeah, I didn't think of it from that perspective, yeah. that people should hear it. And then you identify it for what it is. Um, yeah, I think that's uh, that's uh, that's a valuable way of looking at it. Now, Josh, I know um, I know I know who you are, and I don't want to say who you are unless you want me to. But I know that you're doing some some great work getting some uh, humanitarian aid to Ukraine with the uh, with the Pataki Foundation, and that's why you're awake right now. Give a, give folks a quick update. How's that going? I mean, it's going as well as it can, considering that, you know, we have, uh, you know, probably not even a million dollars raised and the U.S. government has nine billion that they've dedicated. And I think the part of it that's most uh, shocking to the governor, but also to me, is that we haven't seen any of the humanitarian aid go into Ukraine. And um, in a way, that's really tragic, especially when you think about the speed with which we're now able to get weapons in there, the javelins and other weapons. When you think about the weapons that we send, they're weapons that often require soldiers to move around and get close to the enemy. And we're allowing Ukrainian soldiers to die, testing out millions and billions of dollars of military aid. Yet we don't trust Ukrainians with the money needed to build houses and to create factories where they can now produce more insulin, where milk can be homogenized and pasteurized more regularly. There's a real tragedy going on over there. The internally displaced people inside Ukraine is a number that's approaching 7 or 8 million. 
we were in one part of Ukraine called Zakarpatia, where normally you have a population of around a million. There are over a half a million refugees living there. So now you have a million and a half people where normally you only have a million. They're living in the homes of fellow Ukrainians who are taking them in happily. There is martial law. They are required by law to take people in, but apparently it hasn't come to that. People are opening their doors. But that can only last for so long. For how long you know, can people in Staten Island taking people from Illinois, right? Right. You know, there's a certain point where you gotta, you gotta become a little more, um, you know, thoughtful about what the future is going to look like. And um, the fact that, from our perspective, not a penny of the nine billion dollars, nine billion with a B, hasn't made it in there for the humanitarian aid is puzzling. Um, but we've done great work. We've been able to build over thirty houses. Um, wow. You know, mobile homes. We were able to deliver over 100 tons of food, and um, we were, um, you know, we're, I guess we were gratified to learn from the Ukrainian ambassador to Budapest in Hungary that um, that we were one of the top suppliers, actually, of of supplies. So while we uh, take pride in that, we're also very disappointed as Americans that this is all we're doing. I mean, we're the great American nation that supplied Stalin with enough weapons to defeat the Nazis. I think we're the great American people who can provide the Ukrainians with enough housing to keep people warm in the upcoming winter of Putin, which will be a very cold one. Um, so we're doing good work, but we're just a very, very small grain of sand in what is a ocean of uh, of problems. So, we'll so uh, tell folks, Josh, if they want to make a donation to what, the Pataki Foundation's efforts in Ukraine, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, they, I think the best way is to go to the georgepatakicenter.com website, and over there, there's a, a link to donate to Ukraine, and literally every penny goes to the Ukrainians, and I know that I and other people who are volunteering have also donated quite a bit of money personally. Well, that's wonderful. Well, God bless you yeah, for what you're doing. Uh, uh, yeah, I appreciate the time. And, no, absolutely. Yeah. Please keep us posted on that, Josh. We will do. I will call again uh, about this when I return. I'll be going back uh, next week, so I'll try to call you from Ukraine. Great. That would be great. It's, it's only 10 in the morning while you're on the air. So a- exactly. We're prime here. time in Ukraine. Right. That's right. All right. So I'll make that commitment. I'll make the call when I'm there. I appreciate <laughs> it. Thank you, Josh. Stay right. safe Thanks once you're much. over Have there. Have a great morning. Appreciate it very much. Thank you. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. You know, it is interesting. My my wife and I have been, you know, we're having our son's baptism on uh, Sunday. And we've been going to an Episcopal church in our neighborhood. And it didn't work out for him to be baptized on this particular date at the church that we've been going to. So then we were going to go to Trinity Church on that same day. That didn't work out because they have the five-borough bike tour that day and all the streets are closed and Rachel was concerned that nobody, including perhaps us, would be able to get there. So we found another church to go to on, uh, you know, in our close to our neighborhood And we went there for the first time on Palm Sunday. Methodist Church. Great church. Very nice pastor. Very nice people. And 
we ended up, you know, on Easter, we went back to the church that we've been going to. But last Sunday, we went back to this Methodist church. So we've been talking. We think we might do a one one Methodist church for every two Episcopal churches. I have to say, I do. There are a lot of things about the Methodist services that I like, but there's other things that I prefer about the Episcopal service. For for instance, you know, when they t- give communion in the Methodist services, unlike the Episcopal, they don't even give real wine. They give fermented grape juice. Now, what kind of way is that to remember the body and blood of Christ? I mean, you go, you sit and through a whole church service, but you're going to get at least a little sip of communal wine. I mean, in fairness, the wine that they serve at um, the Episcopal services, really, it's so... It tastes so terrible. It's almost like it almost tastes like Manischewitz. It's so sweet. But I'd still rather have that than fermented grape juice, personally. But anyway, so my brother, my brother Nicholas, who I was telling you about earlier, who's getting married, he compared the, us going to this Methodist church last week to go, brushing your teeth right before you have to go to the dentist. Meaning, you know, we're having his communion there, so we end up going to that church just before. And I guess there's some truth to that. But we do intend, we do like the people there and a lot of what they do there. So, um, you know, I don't know that it's a perfect analogy to what Nick was saying, but certainly there is some truth to that. In some respects, I actually felt like um, I felt like uh, Bill Murray in Little Shop of Horrors. That's what made me think of it. Because Bill Murray's character in that film goes to like three or four different dentists every day, or at least one dentist every day. He says, oh, I go to this dentist on Monday. Then there's a guy I usually see on Tuesday. The the person I usually see on Wednesday wasn't available, so I had to see him on Friday. And I almost feel like that's what we're (laughs) we're doing with these churches, hopping around like crazy. But I'm I'm glad almost that... um, you know, he is being baptized in a Methodist church because this way I do like to make that blazing saddles joke um, when Hedy Lamar is or Hedley Lamar is making the list of all the bandits and, and people that are all gathering to be a part of that that posse to take down the town of Rockridge. You know, if you've seen the film Blazing Saddles and then at the end he lists this long laundry list of people that are horrible and then he finishes with saying, and Methodists. I've always felt a little guilty sharing that joke and not being a Methodist. But going to Methodist church once in a while, I feel like I can make that joke with impunity. Now, am I off base on that? Does that make me an anti- anti-Methodite? I don't think so. All right. Um, we're going to do 15 seconds of fame next. If you want to be heard on any subject, you can. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Uh, any subject is fair game. We're not going to screen the calls for content. 800-848-9222. Straight ahead. Frank Marano, 
Uh, one of our two th- theme songs, The Other Side of Midnight, this by Steve G. and the TMC Band, available for download for 99 cents. So if you want to purchase this song, you can get it at Amazon Music, Apple iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, and you can search for Stephen J. Gallo, G-A-L-L-O, or Steve G. G-E-E. And the TMC band, and it should come right up. It's a great song. I find myself listening to it all the time now. Really, really terrific. All right, in just a minute, uh, we are going to give you an opportunity to be heard for 15 seconds. There's currently four open lines if you'd like to queue up appropriately. 800-848-9222. You can... Say whatever you want, essentially, for 15 seconds. That's 1-800-848-9222, as long as it's something that's not going to get us thrown off the air by the FCC. And if it is, we're just going to dump you anyway. So what's the what's the point? 800-848-WABC if you want to jump on board. Deb Valentine coming up with the WABC Early News. The Bernie and Sid Show coming up at uh, 6 a.m. Their guests include Bo Deidle and the uh, crim- noted criminal defense attorney, Joe Tacopina. And if you want to stay in touch with me, if you didn't get in touch by by phone today, you can do so uh, via email at frank.morano at wabcradio.com. It's frank.morano at wabcradio.com. Without further ado, it is time for... The Other Side of Midnight. This is 15 Seconds of Fame. Neil is on Staten Island. Not one drop of sympathy from Jen Psaki or Joe Biden to the National Guardsmen that died trying to save two weeks of They are two below Russ in White Plains. It's interesting that after referring to apparently factual comments by Joe as anti-Semitic, your caller Josh tells us all about his humanitarian efforts on behalf of Azov Battalion Jew haters in Ukraine. Mike in New Jersey. Morning, Frank. Frank, you cannot discharge a firearm at someone unless your life is in imminent danger. Get a Louisville slugger and hit and uh, swing for the bleachers. 800-848-WABC, five open lines. Troy in West Babylon. Go get some AMC stock, boss hut, boss hut. I'll blow 20 dollars a share. The more ass is coming, the more, more ass is coming, the more ass is coming. Thank you. 800-848-9222. Anthony in Edison. Uh, yes, good morning. After about, uh, God bless Elon Musk and his uh, acquisition of Twitter, I'd like to see Trump back on Twitter. I think everybody should go to Twitter and boycott Facebook because I'm on and Facebook jail for the 29th time. 800-848-9222. Mike on Long Island. Hedy Lamar uh, interviewing bad guys for his posse. says, name your crimes. Guy says rape. He goes, name another crime. He says rape. He goes, you said rape twice. Guy says I like rape. <laughs> Stampeding cattle through the Vatican. Jimmy in Queens. 
Hey, Sizzamoron, Sizzamoron, Sizzamoron. All right. I, I think we'll we'll slam the lid on things uh, there. Uh, that uh, probably is a good, as good a point as any to uh, to take a break. All right. Um, hey, if you're not subscribing to the podcast, we would ask that you do so because I know a lot of people that listen at 457 don't necessarily get to listen at uh, 1 o'clock, and that means you might have missed my discussion with Alan Tonelson earlier. So if you're interested in hearing the whole show, the podcast that you should subscribe to is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. You can um, just get it wherever podcasts are available, iTunes, CastBox, whatever. And if you're interested in just hearing the individual interviews, then you can just search Frank Morano and interviews and more and subscribe to both of those. They'll be automatically uploaded to your phone each and every day. Today, um, Philippe is responsible for uploading these podcasts. So if anything goes wrong, you know who to blame. So we'll see where that goes. Uh, It's been a great pleasure being with you today. I'll be back tomorrow. We'll talk Disney. We'll talk a bunch of other stuff. Hey, and uh, my friend is still looking for an apartment in Manhattan. She's willing to pay about $4,000 a month. So if anybody knows of an apartment, one bedroom or whatever, uh, studio, email me and I'll connect you with her. Frank.Morano at WABCRadio.com. Uh, And, you know, she's a decent person. Until then, Frank Moreno, good day.